Pop Talk and Aliens, the William Clear Podcast. She's going to say that until the end of time, or until I'm dead, whichever comes first. Probably my own death. But who knows, maybe the end of time is nigh, and we're all going to go at the same time, in which case she'll stop saying that. But either way, when I'm gone, is only when she'll stop saying that, because it's always going to be true. I am William Clear, this is Pop Talk and Aliens, and it is a podcast. So we're sitting here, we're sitting here, we're talking about what? We're talking about gray aliens. And we're going to be talking about gray aliens for the next few episodes of Pop Talk and Aliens, because this is going to be a series of episodes dedicated to the gray aliens. There'll be three, possibly four, but uh, at least three over the next four weeks or so, starting with this episode, which will take us from, uh, you know, talking a little bit about ancient aliens and then mostly start at the turn of the century and move our way into 1965 when we had the first big, you know, nationally known abduction case. But I want to give a big, broad overview of where these fuckers come from, what, you know, what their point is, if they have one. Are they real? Are they a product of our collective unconscious? Have we just decided from the influence of media and television and comic books and movies that we all agree that these are probably the aliens that come to Earth? Or do they really come to Earth? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about where, where, do the, where is the origination of these things? And then why do we all agree on it? Because here is, to me, the perfect summation, sort of uh, encapsulation of why you can talk about gray aliens as being so, although I hate this word, ubiquitous. Every iPhone has like 10 billion emojis, right? And every time they update the software, they just add new emojis and that's the only update. But there's only one alien amongst all of those emojis and it's the gray alien. And you know the one, you know what I'm talking about, obviously, guitar pick shaped head, big black eyes, a couple of little pinholes for nostrils and a straight slit for a mouth, dangly arms, short, gray, obviously. But that's the emoji you see. You don't see uh, Marvin the Martian or an alien with antennas coming out of its head or a, a, an alien from Star Wars or, or Independence Day or anything like that. You see a gray. That is the sort of universal symbol for alien. In every abduction, it's gray aliens. In the Roswell story, it's gray aliens. In Area 51, it's gray aliens. And I'm going to talk about all those things, even though I have addressed those topics on other podcast episodes. We will need to cover that ground again as we go through the story of uh, the gray aliens. And uh, so, you know, there's been alien autopsy videos, the alien interview. They all feature grays, uh, supposedly real footage. If you want to see the best uh, fake real footage of gray aliens, actually. There's a movie on Netflix called Captured, the Stan Romanek story, which features prominently gray aliens in broad daylight. This guy, I mean, obviously the movie is fake, but he's constantly, and I mean constantly, getting abducted by gray aliens. And he's always, he's always got a video camera around, so he gets these very clear pictures of them just in broad daylight, sitting out in front of his house. You know, they're stealing hubcaps and... They're eating dog food in the backyard and stuff like that. And it's just, he's got it all on tape. Uh, none of that actually happens and it's not called captured, but he does have ridiculously clear quote unquote video of gray aliens. But the, the reason I bring it up 
other than the fact that it's hilarious, is that the, even the logo for that movie has a big fat gray alien head in it because I really think that if it was called, you know, if it said captured the Stan Romanek story and there was a picture of like an alien with an antennas in its head, everyone would be like, get the fuck out of here. That's not about aliens. That's not, that's not an alien abduction story. They'll look at that alien. It doesn't make sense. The ones that capture people are, uh, they got the gray heads. So that's why Stan Romanek did that. Also, he's like a child pornographer or something. He's a fucking terrible human being. But he does have a movie on Netflix called Captured or something. All right, so where does it all start? If you go all the way back to what they call on ancient aliens, uh, ancient astronaut theorists. Anytime on ancient aliens that they want to make a bold claim but not hold themselves responsible for it, they will always say, according to ancient astronaut theorists, or ancient astronaut theorists believe, and then, you know, some ridiculous thing. I'm not a big ancient aliens guy because I think the, the lack of uh, obviously witnesses is, is leaves the stories with a lot of holes that cannot be filled. So I'm kind of into the sort of 20th, 21st century experience of aliens, but it is necessary to go back and talk about what ancient astronaut theorists believe when talking about the gray aliens, because it is said by some that the, the gray aliens started coming to earth around the time that the pyramids were built and that they helped us with that, helped us make pyramids and things like that. And that they were worshiped like gods and that, you know, things that you can only see from the sky, uh, in, like in Peru, the, the, the drawings into the ground, the, the cave drawings, every, every sort of, you know, piece of art made by these people hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of years ago was actually um, made to worship the gray aliens or to celebrate them or to tell us that they were there helping them out. Uh, you can even go as far as the crystal skulls, which were, which were left supposedly thousands of years ago, 13 crystal skulls which are the skulls of gray aliens and that if you look in them, you can actually see the future, but you shouldn't look at them because if you do, it will drive you mad. It's detailed very well in the Indiana Jones and the kingdom of the crystal skull. I know a lot of people bag on that movie and you can, if you want, but the, the portrayal of the story of what the crystal skulls are is very accurate in that movie. And then it ends up with a fucking spaceship flying out flying saucer. Because that's the other thing. We always agree that these aliens fly around on flying saucers. You never see a gray, like a depiction of gray flying in something that looks like an X-wing. It's always a flying saucer. So that's the early history. This, the, the grays were around during Egyptian times or during ancient times, as Spinal Tap would say. And they helped us along and they helped us. They, maybe they even seeded us and, you know, we are part of their, their DNA. We're just an offshoot of them. And then they kind of drop off. They kind of drop off from the historical uh, annals of time between the Egypt and them building the pyramids and everything. And then once we get up to, to Roswell and stuff. So let's put the crystal skulls and stuff aside. Because one of the, one of the things that a lot of people have talked about when they talk about where did the gray aliens come from and why did they become so ingrained into our subconscious and our consciousness uh, 
they point to some things that were written by H.G. Wells in the uh, very late 19th century and early 20th century. H.G. Wells wrote an article or a, a short story of some sort in 1893 called Man of the Year Million. And in that story, he described that in a million years, we would become these sort of gray, short beings with big heads and black eyes. And then in subsequent stories, he also referenced that same type of being uh, as an alien. And again, it was described very much the same. Large head, big black eyes, short, skinny, emotionless. And a lot of people say, well, that's, that's where it comes from. He started, he wrote that stuff. And then, uh, you know, comic books picked it up because it was a good description. And, uh, you know, we were off and running. So then everybody just decided to use that description of aliens. And then when uh, the UFOs crashed at Roswell, everyone just said, uh, yeah, sure, that's what they looked like. Yeah, they looked like that. And then when Bob Lazar supposedly saw an alien at Area 51, he was like, yeah, yeah, it looked like that. It looked like that thing. Whitley Strieber, when he had his communion, his communion with aliens when he was abducted. Yeah, it looked like that. Sure. Why not? Old H.G. Uh, also wrote about those great aliens in uh, his famous War of the Worlds story. Which kind of begs the question, you know, why was H.G. Wells so obsessed with this, this type of vision of an alien? Was it just because it was something he made up that he thought was cool? Or did he actually know about them? Had he seen one himself? Possibly. You know, did something come before his uh, description of them that, that uh, debunkers and skeptics always like to point to as, ah, it's just it's because just H.G. Wells, it all comes from that, and then every, everything else just came from the H.G. Wells thing. And the War of the Worlds. Which, by the way, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with, but it's worth touching on the, the famous story of World of the Worlds, where uh, it was 1938 and Orson Welles read War of the Worlds on the radio as like a live broadcast. He did it in the style of, uh, of it being like a bulletin, like a radio bulletin. And tons of people heard it because, you know, radio was king back then. So people turned it on and they, they freaked the fuck out. And everyone, there was pandemonium because people thought we were being invaded by aliens. Humped shape is rising out of the pit. I can make out a small beam of light against a mirror. What's that? There's a jet of flame springing from that mirror and it leaps right at the advancing men. It strikes them head on. The logs are turning into flames. Ah! The whole field caught up by the woods of fires. The gas tank tanks for the automobiles spreading everywhere. It's coming this way now. About 20 yards to my right. Ladies and gentlemen, due to circumstances beyond our control, we are unable to continue the broadcast from Grover's Mill. Evidently, there's some difficulty with our field transmission. However, we will return to that point at the earliest opportunity. In the meantime, we have a late bulletin from San Diego, California. Professor Indelkoffer, speaking at a dinner of the California Astronomical Society, expressed the opinion that the explosions on Mars are undoubtedly nothing more than severe volcanic disturbances on the surface of the planet. We continue now with our piano interlude. I don't know, man. I think uh, if I were listening to a uh, anything and they stopped for a piano interlude, whatever worries I had about whatever I was watching or listening to would kind of fade away. And uh, so that's always a great story. I, there's varying reports of exactly how much pandemonium there was. I like to think that the streets were full of panic. And people were just like setting themselves on fire and stuff. But it's probably, it probably wasn't all that bad. But definitely people got scared because of Orson Welles reading 
War of the Worlds, the H.G. Wells story that featured gray aliens. And it, it also featured gray aliens coming down to Earth in uh, flying saucers. This is something else that has been passed along with the grays. You know, as I said before, it's they're not in X-Wings. They're always in, in flying saucers. And the flying saucer thing can also be traced back even, even further than H.G. Wells. Which, to be, to be honest, I, I don't want to misspeak. I don't know that actually flying saucers were in War of the Worlds. I don't know if H.G. Wells actually mentioned flying saucers. But they were certainly mentioned in, uh, you know, so much fiction, comic books, pulp novels, and then movies and everything. As I said, Indiana Jones. But the flying saucer thing actually goes back as far as, you know, maybe even earlier than this. But certainly it was documented well in uh, the 15th century. There was a painting where it's a, it's a painting of, of Mary, and in the background, there's a little flying saucer. You may have seen it on your favorite ancient aliens, or it's been depicted on many, many shows about conspiracies and aliens and stuff, but yeah, there's, there's like a, a fucking flying saucer in this painting. The painting is actually called The Madonna with St. Giovannino. And it was painted by a guy whose name I cannot pronounce. You put that together, that first flying saucer with, you know, possibly the crystal skulls, but definitely H.G. Wells. And you marry those things, those two visual ideas. And uh, for some reason, everyone starts to take hold of that. All of the, uh, particularly in the, in the 40s and 50s, the novels uh, you know, pulp novels like you know B B novels and and comic books and then and then soon to be B movies. It was constantly this gray alien and the variations of it. Sometimes it was tall and had a big head, and sometimes it was you know the wiry little ones that look like kind of what we think they look like, and what we see on the iPhone and everything. And also, do you think on an alien's iPhone they have one human emoji? Like they have like a billion of alien of their own little alien emojis, and there's one like little human guy. And they debate about this. Who knows, but these aliens became prominent in fiction. And when Roswell happened, the aliens, or I guess I should set up Roswell a little bit, if you don't know or haven't listened to my other podcasts, in 1947, a rancher named Mac Brazel found a bunch of shit on his ranch, a bunch of fucking tinfoil, or as he described it, and as many military officers who went to pick it up out of, his, out of the field uh, near his ranch described that it was a, a metallic material that if you bent it, it would just come right back up to its original shape. If you burnt it, it you, know, you couldn't burn it, you couldn't tear it, you couldn't destroy it. It would just always constantly fold back out into uh, you know, a perfectly straight, uncrumpled form. And along with that story, eventually came the story of a second crash that wasn't just a bunch of shit in this guy's lawn, but was actually, you know, a piece of a spaceship with gray aliens in it. A couple of them burnt to a crisp beyond recognition, and one of them that may or may not have been still alive when they captured it. The interesting thing about the Roswell story, though, and those bodies, is that when Roswell happened... It was highly publicized. A lot of people think it wasn't. But when this supposed spaceship crashed, and it was a flying saucer, it was announced in the paper with the consent of the military. It was announced to have been a flying disc. 
that the military had captured in Roswell outside of uh, Roswell military base. And there's a, there's a famous picture of, of this, uh, or there's, you know, the fa- it's a famous headline, uh, flying disc discovered outside of Roswell, or it says, you know, whatever it is. And people always say, well, you know, whatever, it was just p- that little fucking local nickel and dime paper, but it wasn't, it was picked up all over the place. The Army may be getting to the bottom of all this talk about the so-called flying saucer. As a matter of fact, the 509th Atomic Bomb Group headquarters at Roswell, New Mexico, reports that it has received one of the discs which landed on a ranch outside Roswell. The disc landed at a ranch at Corona, New Mexico, and the rancher turned it over to the Air Force. Rancher W.W. Brizel was the man who discovered the saucer. Colonel William Blanchard of the Roswell Air Base refuses to give details of what the flying disc looks like. In Fort Worth, Texas, where the object was first sent, Brigadier General Roger Ramey says that it is being shipped by air to the AAF Research Center at Wright Field, Ohio. There were many broadcasts like that. And then shortly thereafter, the military came out and said, no, 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 it was just a weather balloon. It was a crashed weather balloon. It's nothing but a bunch of sticks and tinfoil. Don't worry about it. And Jesse Marcel, who eventually later, years later, came out and told this whole story, uh, posed for you know a follow-up newspaper article where he was holding this tinfoil. And he claims that you know, he was given tinfoil to show to the media, but that the actual spaceship stuff was tucked away. And Jesse Marcel's a weird player in all of this because he was not some scrub. He was a highly decorated intelligence officer and, you know, was, was a technician who worked on explosives and stuff. And he was actually part of the group that, that bombed Hiroshima and Nagasaki, although he did not have to go to that. He was sent home before that, so he was spared being uh, complicit in that atrocity. But it's kind of hard to discredit a guy like that and just say, I I don't know, I guess that day he didn't understand what tinfoil was. Probably he did understand what tinfoil was all the time, that day and every other day of his life. It was not anything from this earth that I'm quite sure of. Because I was, being an intelligence officer, I was familiar with just about all materials used in aircraft and in our air travel. This is nothing like that. It could not be. It could not have been. So he came out in the 70s and finally started spilling his guts about Roswell because at the time, Roswell came, flying disc, sorry, not a flying disc, it was a weather balloon and the story kind of went away. And then Marcel comes out years later, starts spilling his guts, flapping his gums all about that, you know, this, the magical tinfoil and you couldn't burn the stuff and it was a spaceship, definitely extraterrestrial. He went to his grave saying that. His son... He showed his son, he stole a piece of the wreckage and, and showed his son, and his son saw it, and his son recently died, and he said, you know, to his grave, extraterrestrial, no way that that thing was made on Earth. But the, the bodies, the bodies from Roswell, those weren't really talked about until, again, that, that same period in the 70s when Marcel came out, because, like I said, the story came and went, and no one really talked about actual aliens there. But once that story started to come out when, when other people, when Marcel kind of started the ball rolling on people opening up their mouths about it, that's when we started hearing about alien bodies and military people saying that they were witness to gray aliens in a box being carried, you know, via transport from Roswell to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Apparently there were three aliens. Some say there were more, some say there were less, but the generally agreed upon story is that there were three aliens, two of them burnt to a crisp, 
And the third one, either still alive or almost alive or just having died. And that was the one that was, you know, taken to the, to the Air Force Base. The other ones were, there's a, there's a guy named Glenn Dennis, who was the mortician in Roswell. And he, he claims that the, the military called him and asked if he had little caskets, tiny little caskets. And then he also claims that he knew this nurse that uh, said that they brought the alien bodies into the hospital the ones that were burnt to a crisp and that the stench was something she'd never forget. And then, you know, so he put two and two together and said, oh, that must have been what my, the caskets were for, for these little alien bodies. And Glenn Dennis' story changed a million times over the years. And it's impossible to take him with any credibility. And he's the kind of guy that fucks up the Roswell story because every, for every military guy that says that they may have caught a glimpse of a gray alien, specifically gray alien, in a box. There's always like 10 Glenn Dennis's who say that they saw the fucking bodies stealing hubcaps and, you know, eating at the restaurant and burnt to a crisp and in the hospital with this, and they knew a nurse and like, as if the military is going to call them and ask them for caskets, like they're going to give a proper burial to these aliens. Jesus Christ, you stuff them in whatever you can and you take them to the base, right? So if that happened... The likelihood is that one went to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. But again, the gray aliens are a, a story and an image and a cultural icon that comes all the way between Roswell and today. So the fact that they didn't talk about the gray alien bodies when Roswell actually happened, that speaks to them coming from something else. And again, you can go back to the H.D. Wells thing, you can go back to the Crystal Skulls, you can go to these these 50s novels, you know, the, the, the shitty paperback, trade paperbacks. And then you can say, well, maybe that influenced the idea that these Roswell people had. But again, that comes back to what I was saying before is if why would all these people from Roswell, let's say that of all the, you know, hundreds of people that claim they saw something, let's say that maybe let's just be real conservative and say that like 11 of them had credibility. Why would they all describe that alien? Well, the Air Force says that they were crash test dummies. That yes, there was a second crash containing crash test dummies that happened at the exact same time as their radar balloon experiment. So Roswell happens, everyone says flying disc. Then later they say, yes, flying disc, but also second crash with aliens. One of them, you know, two of them burnt to a crisp. And the Air Force at first says, well, it's just a weather balloon. And then when they come out with the bodies, the Air Force says, ah, there's no bodies. What are you talking about? Then years later, as the body stories keep coming and coming, the Air Force says, okay, 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 there were bodies. There were bodies, but they were crash test dummies. All right, just happened to happen around the same time. And so that is that story. But then we get to something that I've never talked about on this podcast before. And it could have been an episode all to itself, but it works better in this context. And that is the story of Betty and Barney Hill. Now there's three major things that come into play when you talk about Betty and Barney Hill. The first is, this is really the first occasion where a human being said that they, you know, specifically saw a full-on gray alien. Not an alien in a box, not an alien in a casket, not some burnt-to-a-crisp alien in a hospital, but an actual gray alien. Number two, they actually interacted with it. Number three, and the most spectacular of all, 
these aliens showed this woman a map to where they live. They fucking gave her directions to their planet. And their planet is located, apparently, in the uh, Zeta Reticuli star system, which is a real star system, and it is uh, but 39 light years away only. Also, that is uh, approximately 12 parsecs, which is the uh, distance that it took Han Solo to make the Kessel Run. Zeta Reticuli is a binary star system, which also calls back to Star Wars because so is Tatooine. Which, uh, you know, makes me think, did George Lucas know something? There is actually a theory, just to sidetrack really quickly. There is a theory that Steven Spielberg and George Lucas are, like, on the ins about uh, alien visitations. And part of their job is to, is to uh, desensitize us to the possibility by showing us, you know, gray aliens and, and other worlds and all these things. And, you know, slowly but surely, if we keep seeing enough of these things, we'll finally buy into the idea that there's aliens and then we'll be more accepting of them, which would play into the idea of, again, the little gray guy in your iPhone, that we are so acclimatized to the idea that these are the aliens, that if one of them finally did show up in your backyard, a la Stan Romanek, you'd be like, yeah, okay, I'm not that afraid of that thing. I've seen it a million times. That's an alien. I get it now. There they are. But that has not happened yet, unless you're Betty Hill, in which case it did happen to you. Betty and Barney Hill are driving around New Hampshire. It's about 10 o'clock at night. And then they start to see uh, something up in the sky that looks like maybe it's like a, a twinkling star. Maybe a twinkling planet. But then they, they start to think that that twinkling is not so much twinkling as it, as it is erratic movement. So they're trying to keep an eye on this thing because it seems to be darting around this light in the sky. And uh, But they're in New Hampshire where there's fucking trees everywhere, so they can't keep track of it. So finally they stop. And Barney gets out, and luckily he had a pair of binoculars on him. And so he gets out of the car, and the thing's getting closer now. So he gets out his binoculars, and he can see now that the thing is multicolored lights. It's not just one bright light. It's many colors. And as it gets even closer to him, he can see windows. And in the windows, guess who? Grays. Fucking gray aliens. Terrified. Gets back in the car, and they start driving. Now, as they resume their journey home, they don't see it anymore. It's gone. You know, out of the blue, the thing is gone. But they realize that they were suddenly 35 miles farther than where they were minutes ago when they saw the goddamn thing. So they went home and they went to bed. I, I don't know how they slept. I don't know why they didn't go tell somebody. I mean, I, who, who knows? Who knows what happens to the human mind when, you know, you're, you're looking in the sky, you see a bright light, you look closer, all of a sudden you see grays in the window, and then two seconds later you're 35 miles away from where you were. Terrifying. But the next afternoon, Betty actually did call uh, some family, tell her what happened, you know, told them what happened, told her, her sister, I think. And her sister said, you know, call the, the goddamn Air Force Base, you know, see if they saw something, for God's sake. So she did. She called uh, Peace Air Force Base. And she reported what, what happened, and she talked to uh, this major, and he told her that they saw something on their radar, that they saw some bizarre 
move, moving object on the radar. And, and the, the thing was, at least what Betty said, was that when she was calling them, she was actually hoping that they would say they didn't see anything. That, that she would, you know, that it would have just have been some sort of dream or some sort of hallucination. But instead, they confirmed that they saw it. So Betty tries to let it go. Barney tries to let it go. But then poor Betty starts having these nightmares and these nightmarish visions. And it gets worse and worse to the point where she actually wrote a letter to the military. And uh, the, the chain of custody of this letter gets very complicated, so I will skip it. But uh, it, it eventually ended up in the hands of someone who recommended that she have uh, regressive hypnosis. Six fucking months of these things. This poor woman. She's having nightmares all the time. Goddamn Barney is developing an ulcer. Yeah, the, the one doctor, she went to one first who said that she had anxiety disorder. And, and then she finally got to another one who, you know, started really doing it. And after six months, she, you know, they finally got to pull out bald-headed alien beings. Five feet, gray, cat-like eyes. And this, ladies and gentlemen, really in the in the entire UFO for folklore of someone actually seeing a gray is really the first full-on description of one from the point of view of a human being, again, from a human being actually saying that they saw one. And she said that she was tested by them, not, you know, put through trials, but, you know, literally that they performed tests on her and she had hair. Uh, skin samples, nail samples were taken. She said she had a long needle, long needle inserted right into her navel and told it was a pregnancy test. They told her that via their brains. And now Barney, because he is under the same regressive hypnosis, by the way, because God knows what happened to him, right? Well, it turns out he was abducted too. So here we're going to actually listen to uh, an actual part of the recording of Betty and Barney Hill's uh, regressive hypnosis. You're going to hear Barney talk here a, a little bit. And uh, it, this is a very interesting clip because it starts off quite funny with him uh, comparing the alien to a Chinese and then uh, becomes very disturbing at the end. His eyes were slanted. I see it so. His eyes were slanted, but not like a Chinese. What was Betty doing all this time? I, I, I'm not close to her. I don't know. You're out I there by yourself now? Yeah. You don't think of her? Is she saying anything? I can't hear her. Did you make any outcry to her, the way you did to me? I, 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 I can't remember. I don't know. I did not. You would remember it if you did. I did not. But I know this this creature, this leader is telling me something. He's telling you something. How? How is he getting it to you? I can see it in his face. Do you see his lips move? Yes. No, his lips aren't moving. Yes, go on. He's telling you. And he's looking at me. What did he tell you? 
stay there and keep looking. Just keep looking and stay there. And just keep looking. Just keep looking. Could you hear each other? Oh, I gotta pull these binoculars away from my eyes. Because if I don't, I'll just keep staying there. Could you hear him tell you this? Oh, no. He didn't say it. You felt he said it. I it? know. You know he said it. Just there. Yeah. Just stay there. He's saying to me. It's All right. I'll take you my head. Just All don't right. pull All the binoculars away. God, give me strength. This is why I don't really do abduction stories on Pop Talk and Aliens, but this one, this one is key to the story because this is really like the first classic appearance of a of a dick gray i don't mean by dick like you know putting stuff into poor barney hill's dick i mean that he's just a dick that he would do this to poor barney and betty so he gives uh you know these aliens give betty a pregnancy test they they take some of barney's semen and then to make up for it they gave her a book a little book as a gift token gift and then they decided, well, you know what? It's not a good idea to do that because that's evidence that uh, she visited us. So then they took the book back. So they, you know, they were a dick about it again. But she, she did get to see, whether it was from this book or from some holographic images, debatable. But one way or another, they showed her a map to their planet. And when she was under this regressive hypnosis she drew a picture of the map and at the time it was not known it was not charted in any you know astronomical no astronomer had had mapped out this this area of the galaxy so it was you know you're full of shit thanks for the story uh you know maybe this will help with your nightmares years later as the story goes and i do mean story they actually did map out exactly what she had drawn. And if you search uh, Betty Hill star map on uh, Google, you will find many, 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 many representations of this in the, the Zeta reticuli system. Now, poor Betty died before she could be vindicated and see that this, uh, you know, that apparently the star map that she drew was a real thing. You can't feel too bad, though, for, for Betty Hill because uh, when she got older, she uh, let us in on a part of the story that wasn't known earlier, and that is that she fucking kicked one of the aliens' asses. And I will, uh, I'll let Betty tell you right from her own mouth. They walk you up this ramp. You're brought in, and what, what did they say they were going to do with you? Well, when we got up to the door, I was not going to go in. So I socked him. You punched the entity? Yeah. Um, in fact, I put up such a battle that my dress is badly torn. And he said, you know, come on. All we want to do is some simple tests. And as soon as the tests are over, you, we'll take you back to your car. But that is the first sort of big-time abduction story. It is worth noting, though, getting back to whether or not these things come from actual existence or if they come from culture there was uh, a show called the outer limits i know there's been one recently but back in the 60s there was a show called the outer limits and there was an episode called the bolero shield and in that episode there was a, a gray alien and he was not like exactly what we 
think of as the as the gray alien, but he was reminiscent enough of what we think of the gray alien that uh, a lot of people say that uh, that's what Betty was imagining. She had seen this this TV show, and it wasn't that long before her trip through New Hampshire and her trip through the stars that she saw this episode. So of course she just put that together through regressive hypnosis because there there is debate about the nature of regressive hypnosis and whether or not it it actually does conjure up actual memories or if it conjures up just shit that you decide from dreaming a lot and being, you know, suggested to by a, a, a hypnotherapist and so forth. But we can leave that there. Except to say that a lot of hypnotherapists and, and, and psychologists believe that what a gray alien actually is, is some sort of manifestation of our memories of when, you know, we were first born and how we saw everything with, you know, I mean, I'm talking like when we were first born, like we come out, we can barely see and, and, and these, so what we see through our, our inability to, to properly focus and, and first ever seeing light for the first time, we see these brightly lit rooms with these figures that have like skinny bodies and big heads. And that's what abductions are. We're just, if you go, most people who have, who have been abducted or claim to have been abducted will go through these regressive hypnosis therapy sessions and they will describe these gray aliens with a big head and lanky arms and they're gray. And it, it, you could make the argument that if you were a tiny little baby and somehow you were able to have your, you know, your memory stirred enough through regressive hypnosis that you could actually recall the first moments of your life. It would all be gray. It would all be blurry. It would all be bright. And everyone would have fucking big heads, big eyes. Everything would look huge. So maybe that's it. Maybe it all just comes down to that. Except, again, that is why I don't get into abduction stories a lot. Because... There's also a theory that if uh, people, certain people have sleep paralysis and that when you have sleep paralysis, you, you kind of hallucinate you're in this theta state of brain waves where you're imagining, uh, you know, having really random thoughts and that one of the common themes of, of people's thoughts and, and distorted imagery that they get when they're in sleep paralysis is something similar to a gray alien. I've never seen the evidence of that. Thankfully, I've never had sleep paralysis, so I don't know either. But the childhood thing kind of kind of makes sense to me, or at least sparks my imagination as to the possibilities of, you know, could you possibly imagine your first moments on Earth? Or are you imagining moments that are not of this Earth, and you're not imagining, you're just remembering? We'll never know. One thing we do know, though, to wrap up part one of this three-part series of Gray aliens, where they come from, what they want, what they're doing, who they are. One thing that uh, debunkers and skeptics talk about a lot now that actually has some credence to it and, and is a pretty decent argument is that if there were grays and uh, people were running into them all the time, if, if Barney Hill could get gray aliens in his binoculars that he could see, why, why, with everyone now having camera phones and everyone having that little gray guy on their iPhone. Why has no one actually captured a gray on 
real video. There's fucking cameras everywhere. We all have one. It's a good argument to be made. I mean, obviously, Stan Romanek in his captured movie did. He's got him all over the place. He's running through his house, you know, in the backyard and all that. We talked about that. But nothing actually real like that exists. Unless you are to believe certain YouTube videos or certain pictures on the internet. Because here again, we get into the quagmire of skeptic versus believer versus the agnostic. Some, you know, someone like me is that there are hundreds of thousands of videos of UFOs or possible spacecrafts on YouTube, on many, on MUFON, the uh, UFO site that people report UFOs to. They're everywhere. You can choose to believe that they're all UFOs. You can choose to believe that none of them are. There's thousands and thousands of videos of people swearing to God that they videotaped a gray. You can believe all of them. You can believe one of them. You can believe none of them. And it all comes down really to what you choose to believe, what you're convinced of, what you're not convinced of. But I always recommend that you keep an open mind. And believe me, we are not done talking about this. I'm going to continue to explore this topic. We have only reached 1965, ladies and gentlemen. We have stopped at 1965. We haven't even gotten to the 80s when shit really went nuts with the gray aliens. And then the 90s, 1997 was a seminal year. And we'll get up into today. But for now, that is the Grey Aliens 101 version of Pop Talking Aliens. Advanced Grey Studies will come in Part 2. And then finally, you will graduate with full knowledge of the Greys in Part 3. And that will all happen in the month of March. So, as I like to say, when I finish up, thank you for listening. Fuck Patreon and cue the hot chick. Pop Talk and Aliens, the William Clear Podcast. Oh, there she is, Miss America. She isn't really Miss America, but she is in my heart because unlike Miss America contestants who don't know anything, this girl knows everything, especially when it comes to the fact that this is Pop Talk and Aliens. I am William Clear, and it is a podcast, and it is part two of the very special episodes about the gray aliens. What do they want? Where are they from? Who are they talking to? Are they uh, communicating with us via radio signals from space? Are we communicating with them via radio signals from space? Are they in Area 51? Have they ever been met by presidents? We're going to talk about it all. But let's get back to Roswell for a moment because a lot of people have said, reasonably so, that if an alien species was so technologically advanced from us, why would their spaceship fucking crash into into some rancher's backyard in New Mexico? I can't give you a precise reason for that. I don't think anyone can. However, I can say one thing. One thing occurred to me when I was thinking about this podcast, and that is that... The orbit of the Earth, as a matter of fact, the entire Earth, you may or may not know this, is surrounded by garbage. It's surrounded by shit, space junk everywhere, broken pieces of satellite. There's, there's a million things that clog up the, uh, you know, the, the, the atmosphere of the Earth. And any alien ship that's coming to go flying into the Earth, I mean, they're risking their lives. They're risking their lives because there's a lot of shit out there. 
And it just may so have happened that they, you know, they nicked part of something and they went crashing into the desert. It's a little bit far-fetched. It's a little bit far-fetched, but it's just something that occurred to me. And it occurred to me that, you know, at the time, there was probably less junk floating around our outer space garbage can. So the crash thing is, it's debatable as to whether that had anything to do with them crashing. But, you know, for future aliens, watch your ass when you're flying to Earth, because you never know. Might crash into something. You're risking your life. They're risking their lives to come see us, ladies and gentlemen. That's how important it is to us. To them. It's not, I don't know how important it is to us. Oh, it is important. Alien species, that's pretty important. But, again, they're risking their lives to do that. So... Let's talk about, we went into the 1960s on a sort of timeline. We, we covered the crystal skulls of, of ancient times, cave drawings of, of what possibly could be UFOs, talked about H.G. Wells' writings of uh, supposed gray aliens, and in his fictional writings, he described what we now think are gray aliens, and there's a lot of people who think that his writings permeated our consciousness and that we decided that that's what aliens look like. And so we just started putting them in comic books and in novels and in cheesy B-50 movies and 50s movies. And then, and then it just went, you know, it just skyrocketed, no pun intended, from there. But there was actually an earlier or about the same time occurrence involving Nikolai Tesla that is worth talking about because it also has to do with gray aliens. But in this case, not just fucking thinking them up and writing about them, but actually trying to communicate with them. So Tesla, I mean, we know that nowadays he builds cars. I mean, he doesn't actually build them because he'd be like 3,000 years old. But in 1899, he used to send out radio signals, uh, you know, looking for responses from... uh, the great beyond, and he got one. He got one. He got a response that he believed was from an extraterrestrial source. He uh, he looked, you know, he did all of his due diligence to make sure that it wasn't uh, interference from something from Earth. He looked uh, at all the, the, the uh, terrestrial radio signals that it could have been, and his conclusion was aliens. Gray aliens? and eh, Maybe. I, I, you know, we can't be sure of that. However... If we go by my deductive reasoning, which is the point of this Pop Talk and Aliens show, I have told you before that there are supposedly three types of aliens. Reptiles, Nordics, and Greys. Now, reptiles... The the reptiles are shit that you hear from people like David Icke, who's a lunatic, and he says that like George Bush was a reptile and Hillary Clinton was a reptile, which may be true, but it wouldn't be because of aliens. She just is one. I I know I stay away from politics, but come on, this is a Hillary joke. Uh, but he thinks that you know presidents and kings are are reptiles, and there's a lot of people who think that. But th- there's no stories that accompany that that have any interest. You know, the Greys may be complete bullshit too, but at least the image of Greys, stories of Greys, accounts of Greys have gone through the years. Uh, the other alien, and I've talked about this before, is a Nordic alien. It's a big, tall, ghost white guy who walks around amongst us. Again, there's there, there's no fucking good stories about that. It's just people that say that they've seen them and they have special powers. Or what? I don't even care. So, Tesla, 
is sending signals out. And he gets one back. And it was no small thing. It was no small thing. Let me read you a little bit of the newspaper report that came out after Nikolai Tesla said that he received transmissions from the great beyond, great space. This is what was written at the time. Mr. Nikola Tesla has accomplished some marvelous results. Marvelous is spelt uh, the way it is spelt. And William Clare, the marvelous fellows, our band uh, with two L's. Anyway, sorry about the distraction. We'll start from the beginning. Mr. Nikola, Mr. Nikola Tesla has accomplished some marvelous results in the electronic discoveries. Now, with the dawn of the new century, he announces an achievement which will amaze the entire universe and which eclipses the wildest dreams of the most visionary scientists. He has received communication, as he asserts, from the great void of space, a call from the inhabitants of Mars or Venus or some other sister planet, which would be uh, Zeta Reticuli if it was the gray aliens. It, Mars and Venus, I, I don't know. Maybe Mars may, Mars may have some uh, you know, old alien bases, maybe a couple aliens hanging around looking after them like Guardians in The Last Jedi. Who knows? But if it was, it, if it was gray aliens, probably from uh, Zeta Reticuli. Back to the article. And furthermore, noted scientists like Sir, Sir Norman Lockyer are disposed to agree with Mr. Tesla in his startling deductions. Interplanetary communication has interested him for years, and he sees no reason why he should not soon be within talking distance of Mars or all worlds in the solar system that may have intelligent beings. Now this was, you know, Tesla always ahead of his time. This was the first attempt at radio communication with extraterrestrials. We do it now, obviously. The process has grown and evolved and become more technologically advanced over the years and it still goes on there's a program called SETI the search for extraterrestrial intelligence which is all based on sound communication with uh, with aliens they ain't found shit yet and they fucking piss on everybody's theories all the time because i got big problems with them however let's get back to trying to communicate with aliens via sound one thing that should be noted is that you may have seen the movie Contact, in which uh, a broadcast of Hitler goes to an alien planet, and then they send it back to us to let them know that they've got it. If aliens were to hear signal, aliens far off were to hear our signals right now, the two most likely signals that they would hear would be the Hindenburg broadcast, you know, where the guy is screaming about the humanity of people dying in a balloon, and, ironically, something... I don't know if it's ironic, but something we talked about in the last episode, Orson Welles' recording of War of the Worlds. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you were the aliens floating around in space and, yeah, I picked up a transmission from uh, this blue planet, and it's those two things? Uh, what's it about? Zaxxon? And Zaxxon says, I, I, I don't know, but apparently uh, a bunch of people blew up in a balloon, and then they were invaded by aliens. So I, I don't know, maybe we don't even need to bother. They... The aliens probably stripped them of all their resources and they're dead. Could be. But there's a lot of other radio signals that have gone out. And even a Twitter feed that has gone out into outer space. 
I, I shit you not, a Twitter feed. Can you imagine, once again, you know, you get aliens that hear the Hindenburg, you know, oh my God, the humanity, and the War of the Worlds, oh my God, the people are attacking us. And then after that, they get a bunch of fucking tweets. How, this is like the worst representation of our civilization that you could possibly portray to these aliens. So in 2012, actually on the day of the supposed apocalypse, these two guys, uh, Scott Kidall and Nathan Stern, did this tweets in space experiment where they shot a bunch of tweets towards uh, this one planet that was a few light years away. Uh, about 1,500, 1,500 tweets that rain, it was, uh, the hashtag was tweets in space, I believe. And uh, the messages were varied from, you know, we come in peace, you're not alone, to we're worried about the destruction of the earth, will you please help us? Can you imagine the information these fucking aliens are getting? People falling out of balloons, world being attacked by aliens, please help us. And they're all 140 characters back in that day. These little pieces of, of information. This is how we are communicating with aliens. Now, again, this happened in 2012. But these guys, I call them idiots, but I guess it's kind of clever what they're doing. But So these two guys sent a bunch of tweets into space. But let's now go back to our timeline and go back to the 1970s and talk about someone who actually knew what they were doing when they were trying to communicate with extraterrestrials via transmissions. And that is the great Carl Sagan. So Carl Sagan, uh, the man who Neil deGrasse Tyson now thinks he is, sent signals to outer space that were actually pictures. Rather than, you know, oh, these people blew up in a balloon. And, uh, he, <laughs> with all due respect to the Hindenburg, uh, you know, that people who lost their lives and their families, it, it's, uh, you know, when you get into a fucking flying balloon, you're taking your chances, man. Anyway, no flying balloon in Carl Sagan's transmission. Instead, he transmitted pictures. And what the pictures consisted of were details about the human race. Uh, it was it, the details about our bodies, about our DNA, and it was one million times, at least one million times stronger than a typical TV transmission. So the reason this was done was because the uh, Arecibo satellite, which uh, lives in Puerto Rico, you may have heard of it, it's gigantic. It's also in the movie Contact, which is a very accurate display of, you know, trying to get a hold of aliens via radio signals. But Sagan's transmission... Again, included DNA, it included our, our structure, what our bodies looked like, and a bunch of other stuff. It kind of looks like a Tetris. If you look it up, Carl Sagan transmission to space, something like that, you'll see it. Now, the interesting thing was that 27 years later, 27 years later, a crop circle showed up, and it fucking looked like the thing that Carl Sagan sent. It had some alterations but the most interesting one, at least to me, and you, was that the, the human body that Carl Sagan had sent in the return crop circle was a little bit smaller and a little bit more resemblant of a gray 
I'm not kidding. You can, you can look it up. I mean, whether it means anything, I don't know. The crop circle could have been a, a glorious prank, or it could have been a message from an alien that was already here that said, yeah, we got your transmission, dude, because we're already here on fucking Earth. And they just waited 27 years. Or, you know, it took, took a while to get there. They came back. Whoosh, crop circle. There it is. By the way, we altered the little guy in the middle because that's what we look like. You're taller. We're smaller. And we have bigger heads. Now, before that, before that crop circle, about three days before that, there was another crop circle in the same area that was just a, a, a picture of a face. It's like, a, it's like a square. And then inside the square is a nondescript face. Look like a gray? Kind of. I don't want to exaggerate it and make everything about the grays. But this one, you can interpret it that way. Just go take a look. Again, Carl Sagan, crop circles, alien signals, all that stuff. You'll see it all. Judge for yourself. I am not here to tell you what to do. But the interesting thing, well, it's, it's not even interesting anymore because it happens every fucking time. It was written off as a hoax. Just writ- written off. And the thing about crop circles, which I'm not going to get into too much in this podcast, <clears throat> maybe a different episode, is that they are always written off as hoaxes. And, and there's not a lot of solid explanation of how these things are so meticulously created by, you know, pranksters and teenagers who live on a farm. And they took the Carl Sagan picture and they made a version of it that's a little bit different. The crop circle image that the aliens, quote unquote, sent was a little bit different. It described different types of uh, radio waves than Carl Sagan had shown. Talked about DNA that was a little bit different. Well, it didn't talk about it, but it indicated DNA that was a little bit different. And the little dude in the middle was, uh, you know, shorter, smaller, grayish, if you will. But that is not all. Now, the government took this thing a little bit differently. And the National Security Agency declassified a document about this event called Key to the Extraterrestrial Messages. And in this document, they reveal that a series of 29 messages from outer space also appear in a binary form, which is uh, the original configuration of the form of the signal that Carl Sagan sent out. Now, crop circles happen all the time as I've said, and there's been reports of them for decades. And some of the designs are so fucking elaborate that they baffle onlookers. Some crop circles are, are, are actually, they're littered with, with these magnetic particles. And this effect has been replicated by microwave heating, which causes water to evaporate. And it's led some physicists to publish papers on this and they concluded that the perpetrators are using gps devices fucking lasers and microwaves to create these geometric shapes these crop circles and there are other physicists of the debunking type that have explained away these crop circles by saying that light energy is involved uh, as a result of fucking atmospheric phenomena and then they close the book on that so, if human beings are creating these things, they are extremely advanced artists, physicists, uh, whatever you would call people that can manipulate microwaves. That's their story. You know, while the NSA documents say the secret to extraterrestrial communications or whatever. 
So the Carl Sagan return message is one of my favorite topics about aliens. And I've never mentioned it on the show because we've never really gotten into signals to outer space and return messages. But once again, he sent out a binary signal with pictures, DNA, human body, other scientific stuff that I don't understand, and received 27 years later back an image that looked very similar to it, except with some alterations in DNA and a little figure in place of our tall figure. Make of that what you will, ladies and gentlemen. But it happened. It's documented, and you can look at pictures. So let's move on to other communications with aliens. You know, maybe uh, back and forth, or just our sending signals out to space. Now, that Carl Sagan uh, communication exchange, if you will, took place in 1974. Three years later, 1977, we got another one of these potentially you know, life-changing signals from outer space. It was at the uh, Ohio State University, had a, a big fucking satellite called the Big Ear Radio Telescope. And it was a detector, and it was, it was pointed at a group of stars. I don't remember the name. It was uh, Sagittarius Constellation. Now, when scanning this area of the Sagittarius Constellation, a guy named uh, Jerry Eman received 72 seconds of a burst of radio waves that was so strong and so unusual that he actually printed them out and wrote in handwritten on the side of these signals in big red letters, wow. And this became known as the wow signal. Once again, I urge you to look up on YouTube, wow signal, and you can see this document. It's, it's pretty cool to see, you know, a scientist who had been listening to radio waves, listening to whatever he could find from the Sagittarius constellation to get something back 72 seconds and write, wow. Now that event, legend, story, if you will, has fucking been around forever. Again, it was 1977. 40 years later, 40, it was quote unquote debunked as uh, noise from two comets. Now, that is like the official explanation of what happened. And again, it comes 40 years later. Now, some professor from the St. Petersburg College, this fucking killjoy, 40 years later, comes out and says that the radio signal from the wow signal actually matched uh, the radio frequency from these two comets that were flying in the air. Now, obviously, I am not scientific. This is pop talk and aliens. It's not science and aliens. But I can just tell you that that was his explanation 40 years later. Now, in, in the intervening 40 years, between 1977 and this fucking guy who comes out and ruins the great story, there were numerous, numerous attempts to translate the wow signal into some sort of alien message. It's been put through every sound processor from 1977 up to the you know great technological shit we have today that allows me to record this podcast but some of the some of the researchers decided that this was, this was just some sort of coded military message others have decided it was from aliens i'm actually going to play you just a little bit of the wow signal itself it doesn't sound like much you're not going to get anything out of it you're not going to i mean unless you're connected to the extraterrestrial world you're not going to hear a message from it but this is what it sounded like 
So yeah, that's that's what it was. Just a bunch of, of beeping and noise. Now again, I'm not a scientist, so you know, to this guy, it was worthy of writing wow on the documentation of the signal when he broke it down into the binary code. And now, supposedly, it was two comets 40 years later. But ladies and gentlemen, I have something much better. Much better than a bunch of noise and beeps and, and indecipherable stuff. We have, in that same year, 1977, a supposed actual message from aliens in English that was broadcast across the entire United Kingdom during an episode of Looney Tunes. An episode of Looney Tunes was interrupted by an alien message spoken perfect English, staticky, for sure. However, very interesting. This is what they had to say. Now, in case you weren't able to catch all that, I'll give you a little bit of the highlights of, of, of what was said to the people of the UK um, from these supposed aliens. It starts off with, this is the voice of Virilian, the representative of the Ashtar Galactic Command, speaking to you. For many years, you have seen us as lights in the sky. We speak to you now in peace and wisdom. And as we have done to your brothers and sisters all over this, your planet Earth, we come to warn you of your destiny and of your race and your world so that you may communicate to your fellow beings the course of action you must take to avoid the disaster which threatens your world and the beings on the world around you. It goes on and on and on and on. But basically, it's a message of, you know, you're going to die if you don't get your shit together. And, of course, what is the guy's name? Captain Vermilion from the All-Star Galactic Command? Uh, Virilian from the Ashtar <laughs> Galactic Command. Uh, that's one of my favorites, though. That's one of my favorites because, I, you know, whoever did that interrupted signals across the UK at the same time. And they fucking scared the shit out of people with that. Captain Vermilion of the All-Star Galactic Command? <laughs> I mean... I, I don't know. It's it's a it's a hoax. That one I'm gonna I'm not even gonna you know tell you that you should judge it on your own. It's a fucking hoax, Captain Vermilion or Virilion or whatever he's called. But the message of that you know we're gonna save you from your own destruction has been a thread throughout time, and so we'll talk about let's talk about some of the instances where. Uh, nuclear missiles were stopped where uh, ballistic missile, missile testing was halted by UFOs. And every time, ladies and gentlemen, that these, that these UFOs are, are seen next to a nuclear test or a missile test, they're always flying saucers. And I think we went over in the first episode that flying saucers are almost always 
associated with gray aliens. Reptiles and Nordics and whatever other shit you want to come up with, they don't fly around in flying saucers. They don't fly around in anything because there's never any good stories about them. So let's assume, if you will, and maybe you think I'm stretching it by assuming that flying saucers are grays, and I'm just trying to make this all about grays, but really, honestly, grays fly around in, in flying saucers. We heard about Barney Hill. We heard about him looking in the window of a flying saucer and seeing a gray. We're going to talk about uh, the Travis Walton abduction coming up in a little bit. Same thing, gray aliens, flying saucer. But we have seen flying saucers, or we have been told by people who were there that they've seen flying saucers interrupt testing of nuclear weapons. Even going back to Roswell, which was an Air Force base where many you know, bombing experts that blew up Hiroshima every five minutes once, once, they blew once, they blew it up once. It's not funny to say five minutes, every five minutes. The people that were working on the bombs that blew up Hiroshima one time were stationed there. And that is where, obviously, as we've talked about, the alien spaceships crashed. And then there were bodies, bodies that were described by everyone as gray aliens. And years later, as I've said, the Air Force finally addressed the body issue and said, oh, no, they were crash test dummies. They had big eyes and big heads because that's how we design crash test dummies. They also crashed far away from the other spaceships. So, you know, make fucking sense of that. Make sense of Roswell, I dare you. You'll, you'll never make sense of it. But point being, it was an Air Force base with a bunch of bombing experts and ships went there. So let's talk about a couple of other instances that were just like it, including one that happened very recently to one of Elon Musk's SpaceX missiles that he's always testing. So Elon Musk has this SpaceX thing, right, where it's uh, you know private, privately funded rockets and stuff that he shoots off into space all the time. And every time he does, people think it's a UFO and they freak out and they, they tweet all over the place about how it's a, a spaceship that launched or a nuclear missile from North Korea and Elon Musk has to come out and say, no, it was just one of my SpaceX rockets. Well, in 2016, and this goes back to what we're talking about, about UFOs destroying and sabotaging rockets. In 2016, Elon Musk was launching one of his SpaceX rockets out of Cape Canaveral. And inexplicably and suddenly, the top of the rocket exploded. And if you look at video footage of this, and you can, everything I tell you is essentially stuff that you can go look up. I'm like Alex Jones. I feel like what Alex Jones feels like. I mean, other than all the madness, him always telling you, look this up, look this up, look it up. It's on sea, look it up. Well, look it up. Elon Musk shooting one of his SpaceX fucking rockets into space. The top of the thing just blows up inexplicably. But if you look at the footage, there's a goddamn thing in the sky that floats around before it blows up. And many people think that it looks like a flying saucer, and it kind of does, ladies and gentlemen. So there's this little flying saucer flying around Elon Musk's big uh, rocket, and you could say it blows up the top of it and the rocket can't launch. Now, uh, the Elon Musk and the people of SpaceX went around and around trying to figure out what this was, and their first explanation was that it was some sort of sabotage. And then they were coming out saying that someone was shooting it with a rifle? And then after a couple of weeks of investigation, they came out and said, no, 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 it was our fault, like the faulty wiring or some piece of shit. 
you know, element of the rocket was, wasn't right. It wasn't screwed in well or whatever. And the whole thing blew up. Sorry. Because Elon Musk has been known to blow up a few rockets that were not configured exactly right. All right. He's not, he's not perfect. Nor should he be if you're launching rockets and stuff. Yeah, you're going to make mistakes. Mistakes will be made. But in this case, no. UFO comes in and blows up Elon Musk's fucking SpaceX rocket. If you go look at the video, I mean, it seriously, it almost looks like something, some sort of flying saucer is attacking this thing. Which tells us that after all these years of UFOs interrupting nuclear tests, crashing near Roswell while they're, they're speeding to the Air Force Base to try and stop what was ever going on. They're still doing it. If you choose to believe that that is going on, they are still doing it. It's still in action because it was only 2016 that Elon Musk's rocket got shot down by a fucking gray-driven flying saucer. I may be jumping to conclusions there a little bit, but the possibility is very real. So let's go, let's go back in time a little bit on this subject and talk about Edgar Mitchell. Edgar Mitchell was the sixth man to walk on the moon, and he was the man to walk on the moon uh, for the longest time. 33 hours this dude was trudging around the moon. So if there was anything up there, at least in the part of the moon that he was, you know, he was walking around on, may have seen it. Now, Edgar Mitchell swears Edgar Mitchell swears to uh, his untimely death a couple of years ago. Well, this wasn't untimely. I mean, he lived a long time, so uh, untimely. No, he probably died in his sleep. I don't know. They didn't look that part up. But Edgar Mitchell was from the time he was on the moon up until his timely death claimed that there were aliens, UFOs, extraterrestrials visiting Earth. Now, he, Edgar Mitchell was not just saying that there were UFOs. That's the thing that's interesting about him. He didn't just say, oh, I went into space, I was walking around the moon, I saw some weird shit, may have been aliens. I mean, other astronauts that have flown in Apollo missions have said things that are a little bizarre and off. And I'm actually going to play you in a little bit some of the stuff that uh, Buzz Lightyear, whatever, Neil Armstrong said to a to a group of, of space students recently. But Edgar Mitchell, he claims that aliens have come to Earth to stop nuclear war between America and Russia. Now, this was obviously, this was during the Cold War. Now, one of the things about Mitchell is that a lot of his comments and theories come from secondhand information. Now, he claims that extraterrestrials have been trying to save us from our own destruction, war against uh, Russia, war between Russia and America, like I said. But a lot of this is things that he has said that he has heard from his military buddies that worked on this base, his military buddies that worked on that base, other astronauts, and so on and so forth. But one thing he did say that I thought was interesting, even if only theoretical, was that if aliens were coming to Earth, with malevolent intent, wanting to destroy us, wanting to mine our resources or, or, or eat us, you know, as some people think, they, they think that uh, the aliens come down to earth and just harvest us and, and, and eat us, which is clearly not true because we're, we're here. So we'll leave, leave that out of the discussion anyway. But 
Edgar Mitchell believes that if aliens were coming down with evil intent, they, they would have already taken care of it. They would have been gone by now, but they're actually trying to save us. Now, something that's interesting that's connected to that is Stephen Hawking recently said, somewhat recently said, that, you know, in going back to us uh, beaming out signals into outer space, that if we were to ever get a message back from space, something like the uh, Carl Sagan picture of a gray in a Tetris, Stephen Hawking said that if we were ever to receive a signal from an alien planet, we should ignore it. Because anyone that advanced and that ahead of us in their technology would be certain to want to destroy us. Much like, you know, we see an ant, an ant colony, we get rid of it because it's in our way. Fuck those ants. Who cares? They're just little things, right? The aliens would have the same intent as them. And so they would be here to destroy us while Edgar Mitchell believes that they are completely benign and they're just trying to save our lives. You know, like the tweets that were launched into space said, please save us from ourselves. Please, for God's sake, we can't handle it. Just save us. Also, here's some uh, recordings of the Hindenburg blowing up in War of the Worlds. So, I tend to believe that if gray aliens are coming down to Earth, Edgar Mitchell is probably right. They're either here for benevolent reasons, they're trying to save us, or they want to experiment on us. They want to make hybrid babies that are part alien, part human. They're here for observation. According to Betty and Barney Hill, when we get go back to that story for a little bit that we talked about in the, in the last podcast, one of the, the biggest abduction cases of its time, 1965, they claimed, Betty claimed that the, the aliens shoved a needle into her navel. She also claimed later in life that she beat the fuck out of one of the aliens before she got inside the, uh, the ship. But that wasn't originally part of the story. Can you imagine if Betty Hill really did like kick an alien's ass to the point where, well, I mean, I guess that their, their UFOs are full of medical devices and, and medical gear because they're doing all these tests. So I guess he would have been able to be taken care of there. But can you imagine if their spaceship was not equipped with that and she just beat the fuck out of him to the point where she had to take him to the hospital? And then game over, we all know that there's aliens because there's a beaten up alien in the hospital. I whatever, it doesn't matter. She claims that she punched him, but she claimed that way later in life. But the important part of it is that her and her husband, Barney Hill, claim that they were doing all these experience, uh, experiments and that they seemed to be related to reproduction in some way. And there are a lot of reports of that. Let's talk about Betty Andreessen. Not to be confused with Betty Hill, the uh, abductee who did a jujitsu move on the alien and kicked his fucking ass down the stairs of that goddamn spaceship, rightfully so. This is, Be <laughs> this is Betty Andreessen. This is a couple of years later in 1967 in uh, Massachusetts. Much like any other UFO story, she's looking up in the sky, blinking lights, and all of a sudden, next thing she knows, and again, this is recalled through regressive hypnosis. She didn't remember it at the time. She just had missing time. You know, she was here. Then hours later or whatever, she's gone. No recollection, no recollection of the spaceship. But through regressive hypnosis, she remembered 
that these aliens actually walked through her front door, much like the captured movie on Netflix. But in this case, possibly more of a realistic story. So in this case, she sees blinking lights and stuff, and then the aliens walk through the goddamn front door, uninvited, didn't ring the bell, and they capture Betty and her whole family. And they bring her up to their spaceship, and they do experiments on her, many of them reproductive type things. She doesn't remember, you know, having anything inserted or that kind of thing. But she just remembers an an interest in her reproductive system. And her child was on board because, you know, all in the family, man, these greys were like fucking everybody in, all for one, one for all. And they had her 11-year-old son, and then they, they, they gave him back to her to sort of reassure her that everything was going to be okay. Now, one of the interesting things about Betty Andreessen's story is that, if true, she says that she was a devout Christian her whole life and had no idea about abductions. And something that does lead a little bit of credence to that, or lend credence to that, if you will, is the fact that up until that point, 1967, there were abductions were not like a thing it wasn't all over the news and stuff, and there weren't movies about it, and a bunch of books, and tons of alien abduction stories, you know, from here to there. It was a pretty unknown thing at the time. So when she claimed this and said, you know, I'm a Christian, I don't believe in, in bullshit aliens walking through my front door, could be true. But she also described a calmness, a peace when she was amongst these aliens, and she described them the way one would describe gray aliens. Five feet tall, one of them about a uh, foot shorter, pear-shaped head, wide eyes, small, slit, nose, ears, ears that were little holes, and uh, they never moved. They never moved, but they they were communicating with her through their minds. Now, I say they never moved, but at the point in which she was showing so much concern, I guess telepathically they picked it up for her son. That is when they, they gave her her son back and you know she felt better about everything. And, and by the way, when Benny was abducted, she was not abducted you know, straight from the house up into the spaceship. It wasn't like a beam of light because you know, from all the stories that, that we know about abductions, it's always like a person walking through the woods and then whew, light shoots down, they fly up, and then they're in the spacecraft. When it, with uh, Betty's story, the aliens, as I said, they walked, they waltzed through the front door and <laughs> picked up her whole family, brought them outside, and then took them into a craft, which then took them into a mothership, you know, a chain of custody that went on from the time that they went through the front door up until the time that she actually got in the spacecraft and was held in a state of not being able to move but feeling very calm and having weird experiments taken on her. Dr. J. Allen Hynek, who is a noted ufologist, did a bunch of regressive hypnosis, like I said, which brought all these memories back out of Betty. And she passed lie detector tests. She seemed honest. She seemed like this happened, at least according to her recollection, all of this was true. And that's case closed on Betty Andreessen. There, they apparently it's still being investigated today. I doubt that's true. But 1967, grazed through the front door, took her out to her lawn, into a craft, into a mothership, performed experiments, 
classic UFO abduction, except for the part where they, I, I'm fixated on the part where they came through the front door. That's just, that's not standard operating procedure for the Greys. But she passed everything, passed all the lie detector tests, which is not exactly true of the next victim that I'm going to talk about, Mr. Travis Walton. Now, this was in the mid-70s. Travis Walton is a guy who really used his supposed abduction experience to propel himself to, uh, you know, some sort of notoriety. I'm not going to say fame and fortune, but amongst ufologists and, you know, amongst, amongst some of the public, he is somewhat known. They made a movie about him called Fire in the Sky, starring uh, Robert Patrick as Travis Walton. D.B. Sweeney, remember that guy? I, I believe he was a young gun, was also uh, in that movie. And inexplicably, James fucking Garner was in that movie, as Charlie Crabtree and I like to call him. James fucking Garner was in Fire in the Sky. He played a sheriff. So I, I, don't, know, I don't know how they got him. I, maybe it was slow work for, for Jimmy at that point. But the movie describes Travis Walton and his buddies out in the woods driving around, and then Travis himself is in the classic sense of the UFOs, you know, not them coming through the door, but them actually sucking him up through a light. The, the guys see all these weird lights in the sky, and then all of a sudden Travis Walton's floating up into the sky, into the spacecraft where they do unthinkable and unspeakable acts of experimentation on him. About five days later, he wakes up, full beard, naked, doesn't know what's going on. Gets back to his friends, and they've been looking for him. The whole town's been looking for him. And he comes back, and, he, and he's missing time. He doesn't know what had happened to him. And starts relating these bizarre stories. Now, Travis Walton, at the time, passed a lie detector test. And he went through several more. And I believe, if memory serves, that he passed a couple of them and didn't maybe pass one of them. But I do know that he went on this, like, some two-bit show about, like, Truth or Dare or something. I don't know. It was I don't know the name of it, but it was some stupid show where he was one of the guests, and they gave him a lie detector test on the air in this weird show with, like, you know, a studio audience and everything. And he failed it. And the look on this man's face, cause this man's face, it was this was years later, years after Fire in the Sky. The look on his face was the look of pure devastation and him shaking his head and just looking like he had lost the World Series, you know, on the last pitch, giving up a game-winning walk-off home run. He, the guy just looked fucking devastated. And I haven't heard much from him since. He's been a guest on, like, Coast to Coast AM, and every time he is, he says... I don't really like to talk about this subject because it's, uh, you know, pretty traumatic. And he's fucking talking about it all the time. Travis Walton. He's always trying to make a buck or two. There's a book. There's the movie. You know, he's running around on game shows trying to, I guess, make money if he wins the lie detector test. I don't remember what the ultimate prize was on this game. Like, I don't know if he passed the lie detector test, he won a car or something like that. I don't remember the circumstances. So... Uh, but the point being is that the Travis Walton story is classic abduction. Beamed up through, uh, you know, a beam of light into the spaceship, horrible experiments, terrible, terrible experience, dropped back down to Earth days later, can't remember, 
goes through some uh, hypnosis, remembers, and then starts shooting his mouth off all over the place. The Travis Walton case is, I'm mentioning it here because we're talking about abductions. I've sort of floated from the subject of the uh, aliens trying to protect us from nuclear war onto their more possibly nefarious motives for for being here, and that is the abduction and experimentation of making hybrids. So Travis Walton was supposedly one of those victims, but I never would have gotten into that in a regular podcast, but it makes sense in this stream of consciousness. I hope, I hope. So the question becomes, if they are abducting people, why the fuck are they doing it? And in general, why the fuck are they here? Is it because of that? Is it because of the nuclear missiles? Well, apparently, whatever they're doing is completely cool with the government, sanctioned by the government, because they made a treaty in the 50s with Dwight Eisenhower. So, the story goes, uh, great Ike, or whatever he was called, Dwight Eisenhower, had a strong belief in extraterrestrials. And in February of 1954, he was vacationing in Palm Springs, taking it, taking it easy. And uh, one day he disappears for several hours, even missed a public dinner that he was supposed to be at, scheduled, not there. So the press comes around and they start asking everyone, you know, where was, where was Ike? And uh, the press secretary said, oh, he's at the dentist, chipped a tooth. And now, even at that time, there were rumors that I'm not exactly sure amongst who these rumors were circulating, but there were rumors that he had been visiting aliens at Edwards Air Force Base. And uh, the dentist story was just a, you know, a cover-up. So there was no detailed reports of uh, Ike meeting a, a dentist or having a chipped tooth repair. So the story went that he was meeting with aliens. Now, this is a, a pretty popular story. This one has made the rounds for many years in the UFO community. And I know that we're jumping around the timeline. We went through the, the 70s and the Betty Andreessen and then the, the, the Travis Walton, which was the late 70s, mid 80s. But we have to go back to the Dwight Eisenhower 50s stuff in order to jump into the 80s because of the Area 51 connection. Okay, so we are now in 1954, which is when, apparently, the first meeting, direct meeting, of Dwight Eisenhower and gray aliens took place. The discussions that they had were apparently very cordial, very polite. Eisenhower just wanted to make a treaty with the aliens, um, but he was unwilling to agree to their demand that we cease testing nuclear weapons, which we went over before. That was a big thing with them. Stop with the fucking nukes. But Eisenhower, no, not part of the deal. So aliens said, fuck off, and they bailed. But then a year later, they came back. Uh, apparently they uh, you know, had an internal meeting. They went over things that were important that weren't important. They said, hey, let's meet with the president again. Maybe we can uh, restructure the bargain a little bit. And now they went to Holloman Air Force Base again, which is not uh, far from the Roswell crash. It's in New Mexico. 
and they had another meeting with Eisenhower. Now, this meeting went down with the aliens asking, how about this? You guys keep working on your nuke shit, and we get to abduct human beings and do experiments on them. To which Eisenhower said, cool, all good. Now, the the best part of this story is that apparently there were many witnesses to this uh, handshake agreement or, you know, three-fingered to five-fingered shake agreement. And one of them, ladies and gentlemen, one of the people that saw this was a man that if you have listened to the show before, you know very well. Are we going to play him? Are we going to pl- are we going to do it? Are we going to do it? Yep, yep, yes we are. We're going to play the wheezy guy. This is a guy, unidentified CIA operative who claims to have been one of the witnesses to the big deal, the deal of the century, if you will, that went down between Eisenhower and the gray aliens. <laughs> All right, so here, here's the breakdown of the treaty that this fucking guy who he, he looks like a snowman, by the way, he's got like a very round head, a very round body. And, and you can't see his legs cause he's in a wheelchair and stuff. Cause he's almost about to die. So the deal was between Eisenhower and the gray aliens was we would not be in their affairs and they would not become involved in ours. All right. So, you know, you do your thing. We do our thing. Then they would help us develop our technology. This is 1954. Now, if you want to just play along for a moment and think about the technological advances between 1954 and 2004, they are staggering. You can say that's just, you know, human progress and we're very smart and we do this stuff and whatever. Fine. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm not going to argue. But again, if you want to play along, 1954 to 2014, fucking amazing. So I don't know. It, it's worth thinking about. So the, so the treaty so far, we got, uh, we won't be involved in their shit. They won't be involved in our shit. They'll help us with their technology. Uh, they will not make a treaty with another nation on earth was a part of it. All right. So this is USA only. All right. Greatest country on earth making a deal with the greatest fucking planet in the galaxy, Zeta Reticuli. Maybe. And then, of course, we get to the alien part where they can abduct humans for various various experiments, but they had to provide the names of the humans they abducted to Earth's Majestic 12 Committee. The Majestic 12, otherwise known as Madge 12, was the code name of a secret committee of scientists and and military people, government people that were supposedly formed in 1947 by executive order of Harry Truman, who was the president before Eisenhower. And the purpose of that committee was to investigate UFO activity after the Roswell incident. Now the evidence or supposed evidence of the existence of the group Majestic 12 is a collection of documents that first came out in the 80s, in 1984, and they are the subject of much debate, of much debate. The original documents state that the group, uh, again, was established by Harry Truman and was recommended by then Secretary of State, uh, I'm sorry, Secretary of Defense, James Forrestal. 
Now, over the years with Majestic 12, James Forrestal became disillusioned with the idea of hiding the fact that we had aliens, um, you know, among us doing experiments and making fucking deals under the table all the time with, with uh, Eisenhower. And he threatened to go public with it. And you know what happened? He got put in a mental hospital. You know what happened there? Quote, suicide, unquote. No more James Forrestal. Majestic 12 continues on. So these 1984 documents, there are thousands of pages of, you know, supposedly leaked documents and showing that the Majestic 12 and the government covered up the UFO reality. And uh, these were referred to as the, the Majestic documents. A lot of ufologists like Stanton Friedman and Linda Moulton Howe have, uh, have gone to, you know, government committees and, and had sessions where they presented these documents and gone over and over them, you know, with a fine tooth comb, attempting to prove that the Majestic 12 documents are real and that that's evidence that this group actually existed. And once again, there are a huge amount of debunkers that stand up and say, no, these are fake documents. And they and there's a whole controversy about the typeface. Like, you know, some of them say top secret. It's typed in a certain way with a certain font that they didn't use back then. And then someone else will say, no, absolutely. They did use that, that font back then because I can find other pages that uh, are from that same time period. And they have the same exact font. And that's gone back and forth. And yeah, for the record, just to show you how much has gone into this research of uh, the Majestic 12 documents, here is a clip of Linda Moulton Howe, who I consider to be a fairly reputable uh, ufologist, talking about the uh, different types of classifications of different types of secret documents and uh, the work that she's done in uh, deciphering them. The common denominator between the Bowen UFO Encyclopedia manuscript and the scorched carbon paper memo is that after the book manuscript went to the Air Force, it was stamped top secret magic, while the carbon memo was stamped top secret MJ-12. Magic has long been a security classification associated with MJ-12, the group of 12 scientists, businessmen, and military leaders appointed by President Harry S. Truman in 1947 to investigate the UFO phenomenon and its, this is a quote, extraterrestrial biological entities, unquote, a phrase used in other historic government documents. The case has never been closed. In my opinion, some many debunkers obviously will say that it is, and then ufologists like Stanton Friedman will say, "No, of course they're real." And Linda Moulton Howe, who's a you know ufologist investigator, investigates abductions and sightings and stuff, swears they're real. So, the Majestic Twelve is one of the best government conspiracy stories that you can get out of any uh, UFO studies. Because for me, the James Forrestal thing is, is really the red flag. This guy says, I've had it. I, this is ridiculous. You know, we've got all these aliens. We're, we're making deals. Eisenhower's making deals. Truman started up this group because of Roswell. There's a fucking alien coming out of there. I'm going to tell the public, well, no, you're going to go to a mental hospital, and then you're going to kill yourself. That's what's going to happen, James. 
So that is the Majestic 12. There are theories that they still exist. Obviously new members because the original Majestic 12 was 60 plus years ago. But there is a theory that they continue with new members, elite government members, and now even leaders from uh, foreign governments too. So uh, an expansion globally of the Majestic 12 dedicated to monitoring aliens, UFO activity, and so forth. But to get back to Eisenhower's meeting with the Greys, and by the way, before I get to Wheezy Guy, who I'm going to play, that's the, the special guy that I always play, because he claims he was there. There is another story that in 1964, another alien ship landed at this Air Force base because it was fucking damaged, and we helped repair it, and then it, it took off again. So, great relations at this point, right, between the Greys and us, and they continue. They get to do whatever they want, we stay out of their affairs, they, you know, they stay out of ours, they abduct people, they give us technology, that's why we have iPhones, and that's why we have iPhones with a little gray alien emoji on it. It was all set up by Dwight Eisenhower with the Greys, handshake agreement. Now, for a better account of what went down, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you once again, a recurring guest on Pop Talking Aliens, the Wheezy Guy. I would think that Eisenhower would, I mean, he certainly knew that flying saucers were real. Yes. He knew that there were aliens. So I guess I'm just wondering what would he have been, you know, really surprised about? Uh, surprised about the black programs. Eisenhower said, Got to keep this thing completely secret. Mm -hmm. You know, can't talk about this. Your actual name is, I mean, the name you grew up with, I that was a different name than what yes. you had in this. I never, never so. used it. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. That's enough of that fucking guy. Uh, just, just a short clip of him this time. Uh, if you want to hear more of the wheezing guy, I recommend any one of my other alien related podcasts, pretty much. He, I mean, he, because he tells, he spins the greatest yarn, you know, he, from A to Z, he just tells everything that you would want to know about the greys, area 51, Roswell, the whole thing. He somehow, this guy knows all of it. But in that clip, he's talking about, you know, meeting with Eisenhower and then going on about how even to the day that he was at death's door, he was still having his phone tapped and stuff. But the idea of this Eisenhower deal has circulated a long time, along with the Majestic 12, and it explains why, I mean, I guess it explains why abductions became so ubiquitous. God, I fucking hate that word, but I have to use it sometimes. Particularly in the 80s, which is now where our timeline is. We went through the 70s. We're now in the 80s where abductions were like wildfire. And we should start with probably the most famous abduction, which is Whitley Strieber. And the reason it's so famous is because he wrote a book about it called Communion. Then he had a movie where Christopher Walken played him, which was this complete shit. And then he went on to write fiction. He wrote a book called The Greys, which is fictional. And, you know, has parlayed 
his abduction experiences into a lot of fucking money. But let's let's just take a look at his first encounter, his communion with uh, aliens, which, by the way, he describes in every manner as gray aliens. So, you know, at this point, the Weezing guy's talking about gray aliens. The Eisenhower thing is gray aliens. The Roswell thing is gray aliens. It's gray aliens, okay? It's gray aliens. Let's just leave it at that. Although, there are some people that reported that uh, Eisenhower met with those fucking Nordic aliens too, but uh, I don't know. Let's, let's just, can we leave that there? Because we do know that he met with grays. According to the story. So, Whitley Strieber. Now, in terms of the actual supposedly nonfiction account of Whitley Strieber's abduction, it was uh, 1985, I believe, and it was it was Christmas time. It was right after Christmas. And he had been suspicious of uh, potential intruders and uh, around his his retreat that he had in this in this christmas time and so he had a series of alarms put in he was a little bit paranoid about someone trying to get into his house on december 26th he turns on his alarms goes to bed for the night and uh after a couple hours he's awakened by a crazy sound and he felt like his security system had been breached and then he was shocked to see a creature in his bedroom so again I guess like the Betty Andreessen story, you know, in this case, the alien just walked through the fucking door, you know, no security system alarm, no nothing, just right, right through the door, which if you're afraid of these things, if you're afraid of the alien abductions, then uh, no security system will help you. The gun that you may have under your pillow that you sleep with every night will be of no assistance because they will waltz right through your door and take you. But that's not possible. That's not very possible, you know, unless you're Whitley Strieber. So basically he sees a creature in his bedroom and the next thing he knows, he's in the woods, which, you know, the woods that surrounded his cabin and his memories were all fragmented, Swiss cheese brain. And then he went through Again, regressive hypnosis. That uncovered many of the, the details of his experience. He recalled that he had been uh, floated out of his bedroom into a UFO that was you know, parked up in the sky. And he saw four different types of aliens. There was like a, a robot type, and there was a short, stocky type that looked like a gray. And then there was a third, uh, even like more slender gray. That it looked like he was sickly, or he was like, like weakened, and uh, you know, slanted black eyes, the big, the big heads, the whole deal. And he claims, like the others, that he was subjected to rigorous medical testing. And one of these, in his case, was that they shoved something into his brain, and another into his asshole, and then they took a blood sample. So, visiting a number of doctors, Whitley Strieber, by one of them, was diagnosed with temporal lobe epilepsy. So, you know, I'm not a doctor, so I can't really describe what temporal lobe epilepsy is, but this is what he said Whitley Strieber has, or had. Which leads me to a little side story, which is that a lot of abduction cases, when examined by doctors who are not... uh, 
given to alien abduction stories, they temp- they typically will diagnose abductions as a form of sleep paralysis or epilepsy, where you cannot move in your sleep, but you're partially awake. And in that, we tend to feel, you know, like like we can't move, like we're being controlled. And uh, sometimes uh, for various forms of hallucinations will happen, which can tend to look like what we describe as gray aliens. It goes back a little bit to what I was saying in the first podcast about uh, gray aliens being some sort of deep, deep-seated subconscious memory of our, of our very birth, where we come out into the bright light and we see all these misshapen figures and they look like they have big heads. And then years later with regressive uh, hypnosis therapy, we remember that. And I should also mention that regressive hypnosis therapy is not a perfect science. It's not, you know, there's a, there's a lot that goes into it. And in the case of these abductees, they usually go through it for months and months and months and months before they uncover anything. It's obviously used for people that were possibly victims of abuse who have blocked it out. But there's a lot of questions about it. It's not an exact science. So, you know, Whitley Strieber imagining that a being came into his room and lifted him up into a spaceship, as well as all the others could be sleep paralysis or they could be regressive hypnosis therapy that has uncovered different fragments of different parts of their life and kind of put them together in a convenient story of abductions there was a guy named bud hopkins he was a he was a therapist and and he was the leading therapist on ufo abductions and he had like even a fucking hotline where you could get through to this dude and just, you know, say, I got abducted, I think, let me come over. And, and then he would do the hypnosis therapy and he cataloged all these abductions. They even made a movie about him with the great Richard Crenna, who you may remember as Rambo's uh, superior in the Rambo movies, the great Richard Crenna. And he played Bud Hopkins. And uh, I don't remember the details of the movie. It's not good, but... It was basically about him dealing with all of these different abduction cases and proving them real and, you know, standing up to the government and telling them that these people were really abducted and God damn it, we got to get to the bottom of this. That was Intruders and that was Bud Hopkins. He sadly passed away. He was a very, very kind man. I've heard him on many interviews. He did legitimately seem to care about these people and believe that they were abducted and maybe they were. But in the case of Whitley Strieber, like I said, he parlayed this abduction into a movie, into a sequel, and then he started writing books about like evil wolves and 2012 and, and the book about the greys. And he's got a fucking website of, of his own now. And, you know, so you got to take what Whitley says with a grain of salt. But this was in the early to mid-80s that this happened. And then the whole Bud Hopkins intruder thing was like from the mid-80s until the late 90s. There was just a slew of alien abduction cases, so-called. And I've never been able to come up with a rhyme or a reason about that. It just seemed to be the way of the times. And it's kind of tailed off. You don't hear about it so much anymore unless you're watching Captured on Netflix. But, but, to give Bud Hopkins uh, his proper credit, let's play a clip of him talking about, in his opinion, what the Greys are here for. Because we've talked about the nuclear missile testing, we have talked about uh, the reproductive making hybrids, 
thing. And then the medical experience, the experiments, obviously their, their deal with Dwight, Oz, Dwight Eisenhower to do whatever the fuck they wanted. Here is Bud Hopkins, though, explaining via the abduction phenomenon, which is, if you believe all of it, that is obviously uh, the main point of contact for greys and humans is for them for them to waltz into your door or if you're outside, beam you through a, a, a light into their spaceship. That's how they deal with us. So here is a couple minutes of Bud Hopkins talking about from all of his experience and all of his regressive hypnosis therapy with abductee victims, what he thinks the greys are here for. Basic purpose of this seems to have to do with the need of the aliens to remove human ova and sperm or cells to take our DNA, our genetic makeup, and to mix it with their own as if what they're trying to do is to create a hybrid mix. The woman might be reabducted months or even years later and shown a tiny baby, which is a strange mix of human and alien characteristics, and they are told in the UFO that this is your child, and they are asked to bond with the child, to hold it. Um, in other words, their, their connection with us, particularly on an emotional level, is very slight. It's as if they don't understand human emotions. And just as they have been trying to learn about human reproduction, I think they're trying to learn about human emotion. I think they're very interested in simple things to us, like how we care for our children, how we care for one another, how uh, romantic relationships begin. All the things that make us most human, they seem very interested in that because it seems that they don't have that themselves. Sounds kind of familiar, actually, to me. Just a little bit. I'm just kidding. But uh, we've talked about the uh, the reproductive aspect of their experiments on people, and then now the idea of them reabducting people and showing them their babies again is pretty disturbing stuff. You know what they're getting out of shoving things up Whitley Strieber's ass. I I don't know how that relates, but uh, to them, you know, they're more advanced than we are. So there you go. The purpose of the Greys as told to us by Bud Hopkins, UFO researcher, abductee, therapist. And since we're in the 80s, that brings us to Bob Lazar. And that brings us to Area 51. Now, I have told the story of Area 51 on a separate Area 51 podcast, which you can listen to, but let's talk about it in this context. So, so far we've got uh, alien flying saucers flying over nuclear missile testing and then uh, Dwight Eisenhower saying, no, you can't do that. It's not part of our deal. Then they renegotiate the deal so that they'll stop doing that, but they get to abduct people and help us with technology. All right, fine. Then we have Area 51, or more specifically S4, which is part of Area 51. I've explained this before, but let me explain it again. Area 51 was classified for decades. It was not on maps. The government totally denied its existence. And then finally, I think, I mean, recently, within the last 10 years, it was finally admitted that there was an Area 51. What has not been admitted is that there is a portion of Area 51 called S4. Because the regular part of Area 51 is where we made the U-2 spy plane, uh, the SR-71 Blackbird, Black Ops stuff, satellite 
ships, radar, you know, radar Cold War stuff. That's all been documented. That's all come out. That's all true. But what of S4? S4 is where apparently they keep the aliens. And that's where they keep the alien technology. And if I had played you more of Weezing Eye, which you can hear on other podcasts, he goes into great detail about the fact that when you get to S4, there are hangers and there are doors that when you lift up the doors, you see, here's the Roswell plane uh, or spaceship. Here's the, the spaceship for that they repaired at uh, Dwight Eisenhower's base. Here's another spaceship that crashed and there's all these fucking spaceships everywhere. And then you go in and then there are greys, living and dead. One of the greatest fake videos that you can ever see, way better than captured on Netflix, is called The Alien Interview. And it is, it is made to look like it's old, like Kodak film, like eight millimeter film. And there's a, a shot of, of an alien, you know, gray alien behind a glass. This is, supposedly takes place at Area 51. There's a shot of an, uh, an alien behind a glass and he's kind of like jerking around and it's actually kind of creepy. They do it well. And then there are two guys that are interviewing them and one of the guys can't stop smoking. He can't stop smoking. He cannot stop smoking. He's smoking through the entire interview. Every time they like they cut to the gray and then they cut back into the guy talking and interviewing him and the other guy's just smoking. That's all he does. He never says anything. He never contributes to the conversation or, or you know, to anything overall. He just smokes. That's all he does. He just smokes like it's hilarious. If you can ever find it, it's probably on YouTube. Alien Interview. And make sure when you're watching it that it's the right one. You'll know immediately when you see the guy smoking. But anyway, this guy, Bob Lazar, claimed to have worked at Area 51, S4 specifically, and that he saw spaceships, that he got into one, that it worked on this uh, anti-gravity system. He saw aliens. He saw plans for government projects, much like when Jin Erso is uh, in Rogue One, is in the uh, the Scarif data archives, and she's naming off all those weird things that the Empire is working on. Bob Lazar had a similar experience where he saw a bunch of these different type of anti-gravity systems that they were working on, and even a time travel machine. Bob Lazar claims that he saw a, a plan for a project called Looking Glass, which would actually allow us to look back in time. Now, Bob Lazar has been discredited from one side of the earth to the other because his qualifications don't match up. There's a lot of holes in his history. But there's one thing that's for sure about him, and that is he is fucking smart. This guy makes like jet pack. He puts like jet packs, jet, jet fuel on regular cars and makes them go like a million miles an hour. He lives out in Las Vegas and some, he does this crazy ass shit with his cars. He's very smart. And the idea that he never would have been hired to work in a secret lab because he didn't have the credentials and he didn't have the, you know, documented background. I don't necessarily buy that. That doesn't mean that I necessarily think that he did work at Area 51. But if you're looking for people to work on this crazy-ass alien shit, you're probably going to want people that think outside the box and don't have a well-documented history of all this education. Because if he did, 
that makes it very easy to add two and two and two and get your answer. There he is. Yeah, he did all this stuff, so of course he worked there. It's a lot easier to just hire some fucking weirdo who's clearly a genius, because he is. He's clearly a genius. His problem is that over the years, as he's talked about his experiences at S4, they've gotten more and more and more lavish. But at the time, it was about gray aliens and UFOs that he saw. And when I say UFO, I mean, you know, alien spaceship. Obviously, a UFO, by definition, is not an alien spaceship, but I like to call alien spaceships UFOs. So he was hanging out on these UFOs. He was experimenting with uh, their anti-gravity technology, and uh, eventually he was, you know, let go because apparently, I'm not exactly sure if this is the exact reason, but I think it is because there is evidence of him doing this. He was taking people out to places where you could watch Area 51 experiments. So you could watch the, you know, their weird ships fly up into the sky at night. And, um, you know, he knew all the places to watch this. So he was taking his friends. There's video of it. And the government's answer to that was, I think the first thing they did was fire him. But what they also did, and they've been doing over the years, is they've continually land grabbed the area around Area 51 so that you, in order to see it, you have to be so, you have to have HD cameras of the finest order to be able to look down and actually see any of that base at this point. 20 years ago, you could hike up like a mile and you could fucking see everything. It was great. I never did it. I drove down the road one time, but I didn't, didn't see anything. So that is the story of Bob Lazar and his encounter with, with aliens. And, and his, his uh, assertion is that, yeah, we do, we do work with them. And obviously the assertion of Wheezy Guy is the same thing. And that leads us to one more guy who claims to know a lot about gray aliens and has ostensibly come in contact with them. And this guy's similar to Wheezy Guy in, in the fact that his, his information that he came forth was, was sort of a deathbed confession type thing. You know, this guy, very old, very, very old. He's about to die. He claims to be a former CIA guy. His name is Boyd Bushman. Uh, claims to have worked on all kinds of technology and uh, met with gray aliens. Claims that there were 18 of them that were working with, uh, with the government. Uh, he, the thing about him, too, is that he's, he's much more articulate than Wheezy Guy, and he's showing like these, these uh, like Polaroid photos during the whole interview. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and play him for a moment, and then I will I will talk about uh, what he had to say. I'm not I'm not exactly sure if I've dealt with him on this podcast before, but one of the the things he does say that kind of is a dead giveaway that he's full of shit is that he calls the <laughs> the Grace Planet something like Quinta Mia or something like that, and uh, we all know that it's uh, Zeta Reticuli. We've established that, all right? That there's there's so many references to that particular star system that, uh, well, I don't know. Maybe that's what they, maybe wait a second. Hold on. What do you, Bill? Slow down. Zeta Reticuli is what we call it. Maybe Kintiamia is what they call it. I take it back. I take it all back. You know what? Fuck what I'm saying. Let's just listen to Boyd Bushman. They're approximately five, five feet, four and a half to five feet tall. They, they had one or one or two of them around the 
that were 230 years old. And they, we have a total of at least 18 that exist and operate with our facility as Teller set it up. Now notice the eyes are different, nose are different, but they do have five fingers, five toes, uh, two eyes, uh, and uh, rather strangely enough, I asked him how they communicate. He says, well, it's like this, Lord. You all of a sudden have a question in your mind. You walk into a room with, with one of them, and all of a sudden you find yourself giving the answer to your question in your own voice. They're able to use your own voice by telepathy to talk to you. So, all right, all right, we've heard that kind of thing before. Obviously, that every account of them is that they speak through uh, telepathy. No one's ever heard one talk. From the planet Quintia Mia. From where we call Zeta Reticuli, but here's the problem. As I said, Boyd Bushman is holding up pictures during that entire conversation. And one of the pictures is uh, of a gray. It's very clear. The picture is very detailed and, and you know you can really really see the gray and what somebody did was that they scoured the internet for toys alien toys and one of them came out looking exactly like that and so the story of uh, Boyd Bushman was debunked forever I like to offer a little sliver of a door open that maybe the picture of the toy and the picture of the real gray were similar but not the same it's a stretch, it's a stretch, but I like to play along sometimes. So Boyd Bushman, I'm going to give him just like a, a, a sliver of a door opening where, you know, wheezy guy, I mean, come on, dude, all that guy does is talk shit, but it's good shit, man. Oh, and that voice, oh, I could listen to that guy all day. But that is going to wrap it up for part two of The Gray Aliens, History and Mystery, except for, I did promise you one thing. And that was Buzz Lightyear's comments, not Buzz Lightyear, but the real astronaut, Neil Armstrong, making all these really weird comments that suggest he maybe knows more than he's been um, letting on. Today we have with us uh, a group of students among America's best. To you, we say we've only completed a beginning. We leave you much that is undone. There are great ideas undiscovered, breakthroughs available to those who can remove one of truth's protective layers. It's weirder, truthfully, without all the music that's supposed to make it weird. It's an odd comment, and if you if you look at his face, he's like almost in tears and stuff. I'm not I'm not really sure what he's talking about there, but uh, that is going to wrap up part two of the trilogy of the history and the mystery of the gray aliens and their UFOs. And uh, next episode will include some comments by presidents, former presidents. We will talk about the Russian continuous signal that's been going on for years and years that many people think comes from extraterrestrials. Um, maybe Donald Trump could understand that. <laughs> the politics. Uh, but we will also be talking about the programs that we know are going on this very day to explore UFOs 
alien life, etc. And maybe the possibility that we're getting closer and closer to full fucking disclosure. You never know. Maybe in our lifetime, we will be able to see with our own eyes the greys come and update the terms and conditions of their old Dwight Eisenhower deal. But until then, cue the hot chick. Pop Talk and Aliens, the William Clear podcast. If you pumped that woman full of truth serum, she'd say the same thing because it's true. I am William Clear. This is Pop Talk and Aliens, and it is a podcast, and it is part three of our celebration of the gray aliens, their history, their mystery, their legacy, their theory, everything gray aliens. And uh, I wanted to uh, I wanted to thank you, those of you who listen. I know that many of you are my friends, and that uh, you know you, you you spend your time listening to my voice, and and I appreciate that. And I, I hope it's worth your time. I hope I am entertaining you. And I know that there are many many listeners who I do not know and may never meet. And to those of you, I also say. Thank you so much. I uh, Again, I hope it's worth your time. Uh, okay, so uh, last episode we talked a bit about alien signals. We talked about uh, us looking for alien signals, uh, alien signals coming back to us. We talked about the wow signal, which was... Um, a, a signal from from a satellite that was you know listening to to outer space and there was a, a disruption and there was a signal that that was very very different from all the noise that they'd been hearing and uh, the guy who heard it circled it and wrote wow and they thought maybe it was from you know extraterrestrial life 40 years go by a couple of scientists say no 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 dude just two comets smashing into each other two comets we finally figured it out after 40 years Fair enough. Fair enough. As you know, uh, we beam our own signals out to space, um, uh, most of them in the form of just the transmissions uh, that we normally send out, which is television and radio and so forth. And uh, the oldest one of those, arguably, but pretty much agreed upon, that uh, the oldest signal that's in space, which would mean it was the furthest out in space, was the broadcast of the Hindenburg (laughs) disaster. And I know I made a lot of Hindenburg jokes on the last episode, so I won't get into it, you know, the fact that the aliens will be hearing this guy screaming about the humanity, but I just, I want to point something out, and then I will go past the Hindenburg, I promise I'll stop talking about the Hindenburg. I just want to point out that when the aliens hear this guy screaming about how it was the worst tragedy ever to affect mankind, and oh, the humanity, they're falling out of the balloon, do you know that actually only a third of the people in the Hindenburg actually died? I mean, it's not funny. People dying is not funny, but there there were way more survivors from the Hindenburg than there were deaths. It was not, in fact, the worst tragedy to hit mankind. 36 people dead. 36. I, I'm not saying that's okay. I'm just saying it's, it's not, uh, you know, oh, the humanity. Plus, they knew that thing was a piece of shit when they got on. Okay, Hindenburg over. Closed. Subject is closed. No more Hindenburg. Let's talk about, though, us listening for alien signals to come down to Earth. I talked last episode about SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. And 
I said I got some problems with them, and I do, and let me tell you why. Every single time there's like a UFO thing, a discovery, or a, you know, a wow signal type thing, or, or an alien sighting, or, or a big event like Phoenix Lights where a bunch of people see a UFO, SETI will always come out and debunk that shit. And the reason is, it's very simple. They want to monopolize alien discovery. And if it doesn't come from them, and it doesn't come from their satellites pointed out in space listening, then they're going to debunk it all. And it's funny because I went to look up, as I was preparing for this episode, uh, some SETI debunking cases, and I found one from three days ago. Just three days ago in Newsweek. Not on some weird alien site. Newsweek. And it says, uh, again, this is, this is three days ago as of the recording of this podcast. The, the Newsweek article says, a video uploaded Thursday on YouTube shows an Argentinian pilot filming what one online group says are two UFOs passing him in midair. However, even an astronomy researcher at the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence Institute, who spends his life in search of aliens, isn't convinced that this video is the real deal. And the name of the person from SETI who is talking about this is Seth Shostak, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, let me guarantee you that Seth Shostak is behind every goddamn debunking of every alien thing that isn't discovered by SETI. And you know what has been discovered by SETI? Nothing. Nothing. These fuckers are wasting their time. And this guy, putting himself out there all over the place, you know, debunking this, debunking that, talking about how great SETI is. Shit, they haven't come up with anything. And if nothing else, even if nothing else, at least fire this guy. Get somebody else in there who, you know, can do something different. But anyway, here's what Seth Shostak had to say about this particular video. Seth Shostak, senior astronomer at the SETI Institute in California, told Newsweek that, in his opinion, the video isn't very convincing. Aside from its overall, quote, ambiguous nature, he said the first sign that the video may be inaccurate is that it was filmed by a pilot out of the cockpit window in mid-flight. I don't see an issue there. So far. Saw, saw a UFO, pulled out his uh, phone, started, started filming it normal reaction I would say but uh, Seth goes on to say why is this guy using his cell phone to make videos while he's flying around Shostak asked the researcher pointed out that uh, from the way the camera is pointed it seems that the pilot anticipated the UFOs before they even appeared on screen quote he's there to photograph these things and that's a bit suspicious okay Oh, and it also goes on to say that the uh, objects were in uh, the shape of saucers, which we have determined, I think unequivocally, that flying saucers are the ship of choice for gray aliens. Uh, so Shostak <laughs> says that uh, this isn't real because the guy was filming out of a cockpit window and uh, it seemed like uh, he was anticipating the aliens coming. All right, let me, let, let's, let's, let's think about that from the point of view of, of ourselves and something that's... Uh, uh, a common reference, a common reference point. You're in your car, and you got your phone, you're driving at night. It's a, hopefully you're the passenger because you shouldn't be dicking around with your phone and filming shit when you're driving. You know, pull over first. But let's say you're the passenger and you're driving in a car and you see uh, out of the corner of your eye to your right, you see some, some uh, flying saucers flying around doing their thing. So what do you do? You pull out your camera. You pull out your camera phone and you point it, and as soon as you point it, then, you know, the aliens, uh, flying saucers come into view 
of your phone. I don't think that that makes your uh, capturing a video of flying saucers suspect or ambiguous. You know, you saw the fucking thing out of the corner of your eye. You pulled out your camera. As you're putting out your camera, you're seeing dark space. Then all of a sudden flying saucers fly into it. Not really that ambiguous, Seth, Mr. Seth Showstack. Let me uh, let me let me tell you something a little more about this uh, this uh, Seth Showstack. He has made many speeches where he guarantees that we will find alien life, you know, in the near future, in our lifetime, and he I'm sure hopefully means his lifetime because he wants to be the guy that you know discovers it. So he's always he's always making speeches like I think he even has his own podcast for God's sake I don't know I didn't I, I stopped because I've heard this guy on on the coast to coast AM and the Art Bells of the world you know for years constantly just you know said he said he said he said he said he and everything else is fake and speaking of said this is a true story I promise you this just happened uh, a few days ago I'm driving with my son and I am forcing him against his will to listen to episode two of this podcast. The Grays Part 2. And I start talking about SETI. And he goes, oh, search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Okay, finally it makes sense. And I'm thinking, well, what do you mean finally it makes sense? Like, why do you know about SETI but you don't know what it is? Like, in what context was SETI brought up and not explained to you? And then he lays this on me. In the game Call of Duty Infinite Warfare which is one of the many, many, many Call of Duty games. Infinite Warfare, this one, this particular Call of Duty game, takes place like 5,000 years in the future or something. Apparently, in the campaign mode of this game, there is a uh, section where you are, <laughs> your mission is to capture, or possibly kill, I can't remember, but to capture an alien. And it is, of course, a gray alien. And in order to get this gray alien, you have to break into the SETI tower. So that's where that's where he knows it from. And he told me that there's a there's a flag on top of the SETI tower that's flying with a picture of a gray alien's head on it. And then it only gets better. Once you kill or capture the gray alien, you bring your spoils down the SETI tower and present them to David Hasselhoff. And David Hasselhoff then takes the alien in kit and uh, goes and does whatever the fuck David Hasselhoff does with a dead or captured gray alien. Absolutely true. I have not played it, but I absolutely take his word for it. I have been around the house, you know, doing stuff, and I've heard him playing it, and I've heard David Hasselhoff's voice, and I've heard alien this and that, so absolutely I take his word for it. Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, gray aliens. Not lizards, not Nordics, greys. And as a matter of fact, ladies and gentlemen, here is a stat for you. 43% of all alien counters reported are grey aliens. 43%. Now, what does uh, the other 57% think, you might say? Well, let's. I'll give you this speculation, and this is entirely speculation, but I'm going to say out of that 57% of supposed alien sightings, probably... 20% is bullshit, and the rest is like people like David Icke who think that there's Nordic and uh, gray, or uh, not not gray aliens, but that there's Nordics and reptilians and uh, that, you know, all of our uh, political leaders are, are made out of uh, reptile aliens. 
So I, I will discount that, but I will say that 43% is very high. It's a very high percentage of people that think that the aliens are gray, or at least people that say that they've encountered them have all said that they're gray. Now, again, while researching this episode, I was looking at a lot of different things about that, sort of the ubiquity, I fucking hate that word, I keep saying it, of, you know, gray aliens being everywhere and the origins that we've already, we've already discussed. We've already talked about how far they go back to crystal skulls, cave paintings, fucking helicopters on caves, H.G. Wells, pop culture magazines, uh, paintings from, you know, the the 14th, 15th, 16th century with flying saucers and shit in them. You can find, there's more where that came from. And this is just a podcast, so I can't show you all these things. But if you go online, if you go on YouTube and you look for, you know, aliens in ancient art, <laughs> you will go down a rabbit hole that never ends, my friend, because they were there. If, you know, if they exist, they were definitely there. But I came along a little think piece on the internet on geek.com that uh, talked about gray aliens and uh, exactly the subject matter we're talking about here, except much less articulate, not funny, no swearing, um, and no entertaining of the fact that they could be real. And I'm just going to just want to read you a tiny bit of this because this sums up anyone who thinks about gray aliens and, you know, the, the conscious uh, sort of agreement that those are the typical aliens. Anyone who thinks about that writes shit like this. This is the perfect example. So this is on geek.com. I will not credit the author. Fuck off. Uh, aliens run the gamut. Which gamut? Every gamut. Decades of pop culture have taught us that aliens can be pretty much anything from humans with wacky heads to insect-like monsters, insect-like monsters, to floating clouds of gas. But if you ask the average person to describe an alien, or just what comes to mind when they hear talk of abductions or close calls with UFOs, Chances are they will tell you about short gray humanoids with big heads, small mouths, and expressionless black eyes. Gray aliens, or just grays for short. Gray aliens are very much embedded in the human psyche. The way we see it, there are three reasons for why this may be the case. The first, and most useful for fiction, is the fact that aliens exist and just happen to be what they look like. And that, that's, you know, that's kind of where we're going with this particular podcast. That if aliens exist, that's just what they happen to look like. Now, uh, the article continues, of course, that's something best left for our series on conspiracy theories, as we're sure the geek.com audience wouldn't buy the outlandish idea that an alien race would evolve to look similar to humans, right? Right. Okay. Uh, and then a video plays. So, I, I can't stop this video from playing. God damn it. Okay, now here's where this guy starts to get into his own theories and his own shit, and it's emblematic of the way people think about gray aliens who don't believe in them. And uh, this guy says, so that leaves us with two other somewhat connected possibilities. They're not connected. One is like werewolves or vampires. Gray aliens are a manifestation of a deep-rooted racial memories, the fruit that ripens on the vine of our collective unconsciousness. The other possibility is that grays are nothing more than a fad that got picked up and elaborated upon before taking on a life of its own, a meme from the decades before the word even existed. Before we make a call one way or another, however, let's take a look back at where the grays came from. And then they talk about Zeta Reticuli. They talk about uh, Betty Hill. Uh, and they actually take a big shot at Betty Hill. By the way, Betty Hill took a big shot at an alien, punched it in the fucking face. Episode one, check it out. Uh, but they say, 
For many ufologists and true believers, the answer to that question is a deadpan zeta reticuli. Reason being is that according to some string and bead based model maker by an amateur astronomer, that is supposedly the origin of the aliens that allegedly abducted Betty and Barney Hill. Their story, which they claimed happened in 1961, became the first widely reported abduction incident. Yeah, but we've already covered this, you fucking motherfucker. So we've already done this. And this article is not even old. Guy probably just listened to this podcast. Uh, this particular abduction story kicked off a myriad of other similar claims, many of which, many of which, as you've probably guessed, feature small-grade humanoids. Um, and then, you know, it goes on and on. He talks about Roswell. He talks about the X-Files. And he comes up with this as his conclusion. Oh, wait, one thing I have to say also is that he says, gray aliens only really started popping up in the 20th century. If there was something baked into us to envision the little bastards, why didn't they start showing up sooner? And why does their appearance seem largely limited to Europe and former Europe colonies? I just threw something across the room because of that. Limited to Europe? Do you know how many fucking abductions are happening in the United States compared to Europe? I mean, there's plenty in Europe. Don't get me wrong. But red, white, and blue for the greys. You know what I'm saying? They come here all the time. Roswell, Area 51... Uh, the New Mexico Dulce battle. They were uh, they were hanging out in New Mexico, fucking slicing people up like a fish. America, America for grays. So I don't know what this guy's talking about, but he's completely full of shit. And he comes to this conclusion. This guy says, or a girl, I don't know. The name is Aubrey. So I guess I probably shouldn't be so sexist to just assume it's a guy, but I like to think that it's a fucking guy because I don't, I don't know. I, you know, I like women and I like to think that a woman wouldn't be this much of a bitch to write this. So while the gray aliens certainly might seem due to their ubiquity <laughs> and frankly, excellent design, like some sort of vestigial memory from long past times or the manifestation of some deep rooted primal fear, it seems more likely that there's something just as powerful, a cliche. So that, uh, that whole article was written, and I left out a ton of it, to say that the gray aliens are a cliche. It, 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 like, where does that come from? What does what the... Basically, this man or woman is just basically listing all of the possibilities of where gray, alien, gray aliens came from, and then just saying, well, that's, it's just a cliche, which counteracts everything that was written before that. Just saying that, that basically, I, that they're just from nothing. And that could have been a really interesting article. It could have been like this podcast because all those points brought up are valid points. And that's why we are discussing them here. The idea I brought up of, and this is not my own idea, but it's been, it's been speculated by scientists, not writers for geek.com that, uh, the gray aliens are actually a memory, you know, memory that's tucked far, far away in our brain from when we were first born and we came out and it was bright. Everybody had big heads and big eyes and they were hovering over us and everything. And so we have these regressive hypnosis memories after we're abducted and, and, and we see that. But this person, the, 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 the aliens just popped up in Europe in the 20th century. Not the case, my friends. Not the case. We've discussed this. We've been over it. And really, the first meaningful encounter with gray aliens was, in fact, Roswell, which was 1947 in the good old United States of America, ladies and gentlemen. Fuck Europe. 
Fuck European aliens. You know what? You know what? Actually, you know what? Aliens are commonly quote unquote seen in Europe is those Nordics, those Nordic aliens, the one that look like people from Norway and stuff. And the reason they're seen in Europe all the time is probably because they're people from Norway. You know, so uh, again, no, no credence. I give no credence. Uh, I give no Clearwater. I give no revival to uh, the Nordic aliens, reptiles and such. Now, we left off in the 90s in our last podcast. So let's get back to the timeline. We've talked about SETI. We've talked about today. Uh, we've talked about the, that idiot's article on geek.com. So let's pick up in the 90s where we, uh, where we left off. In, in terms of our timeline, because yeah, as you know, with the first two episodes, we shoot off the timeline and branch off whenever we want. But let's get back to the 90s. After the Area 51 revelations, um, you know, it, that is when aliens, gray aliens, truly started to morph into simply the pop culture. Because now even we had Area 51, like Independence Day. In the movie Independence Day, they go to Area 51 to find the aliens. And and then there's tons of movies where Area 51 is now like the calling card of where aliens are kept and where they live. Which, let's assume that the aliens do live there. Or that they have been captured and put there or at some point have you know hung around at Area 51. The best thing that you could do if you're the government or the... Illuminati or whatever, you know, whatever thing wants to cover this up is allow that to just permeate popular culture. And that way that you can turn into guys like the the person who wrote this geek article and just say, well, it's just a bunch of shit that, you know, it's just a fad. It's a fad. It's a cliche. Like he called it or she. A cliche. Fucking hell. You know what? Uh, actually, uh, just as a quick timeout real quick. I, I know that I swear a lot on this show. I think it's hilarious. I think it makes the show uh, just a different take on things. But I, I apologize if you if you don't like it. And the reason I say that is because I recently got a YouTube comment on uh, an episode that I posted about uh, Elton John's 70th birthday, where uh, one of the people commented and said, you know, a nice tribute, well done, although I don't know why you have to be constantly dropping, dropping the F-bomb during a tribute to Elton John. <laughs> and fair point. Very fair point. But I'm going to keep doing it anyway. So, you know, fuck that guy. Hope he enjoyed it anyway. Seemed to. Anyway, back to the 90s. So, the, in the 90s, Area 51 was a big popular culture thing. You know, it was in the movies all the time. There was always references to it. The X-Files was big. And uh, Area 51 was certainly a part of that. Now, I think, I never really watched it, but I'm pretty sure Area 51 was from what I did see. But uh, something very real and not X-Files happened in the 90s with Area 51. I think it was 95. A bunch of people who worked at Area 51 actually sued the Air Force and uh, the EPA because they were working at Area 51 not S4, where the greys are, but they were working at Area 51. And what they used to do at Area 51 is just burn their garbage. And as you can imagine, when you're working on spy planes and, you know, high altitude aircraft that fly at, uh, at speeds, you know, unknown to uh, humans previous to that point, you can imagine that there's going to be some waste involved in that garbage. And so they were just burning it. And what was happening to these people was like their skin was falling off. 
You know, they were just turning into skeletons right before their very own eyes. And so they started suing uh, the EPA and the Air Force. And what happened was that Bill Clinton, Bill fucking Clinton, signed a document that rendered the area of operations near Groomed Lake, which was Groom Lake, not Groomed Lake, the area of operations near Groom Lake exempt from environmental laws and rules and regulations. So these fucking people just kept uh, d- dissolving in their skin and uh, nothing, was, nothing was done for them because Clinton didn't want to reveal Area 51. Even though we all knew that it was there, every time a Freedom of Information request was made and, and information was you know, made available because of that request, it, every time there was a mention of Area 51 or the military operations near Groom Lake or the Air Force operations in that area, it was always redacted you know, the, the, the black lines over it. It was not until 2013, 2013, but five years ago, ladies and gentlemen, that the actual real life disclosure of Area 51 came and it came from the CIA. And the way they did it was, it was so fucking classic government uh, UFO response. It was like Roswell, you know, we, it, Area 51 has been around for 70 years now or so. And uh, the CIA basically just, you know, releases a bunch of stuff that says, yeah, yeah, we were building spy planes there and stuff. What do you want from me? That's no big deal. Excuse me, that water's so good, I guarantee it. And it was just like Roswell. When, you know, Roswell 40, 50 years later, I think, is when they finally released their, their, uh, their excuse for the whole thing. Where they said, oh, it was a radar detecting balloon. I know we said it was a weather balloon, and I know we said it was a flying saucer before that. But really, it was a radar detecting balloon. It's just like the wow signal. It takes them 40 years to come out and say that it's a comet. If these things are so simple, now I'll put the wow signal aside because it, uh, that's different. That's people trying to figure out frequencies and sounds and stuff. So put that aside. But the Roswell thing, the Area 51 thing, really? You're going to wait that long just to say that, oh, yeah, it was no big deal. Well, if it was no big deal, you know, a couple of decades ago wouldn't hurt you either because that fucking U-2 spy plane has been around forever. So admitting that you made it there really isn't that big of a deal. But they didn't want to get sued for boiling people alive with their burning garbage. Those poor fucking people. There's, uh, you can see it on YouTube if you want. You look up Area 51 lawsuit. Horrific, man. These poor people. I mean, I know I, it sounds like I don't care because I'm joking about their skin boiling off and stuff like that, but that's just because I'm an asshole. Deep down, I care. And these poor people tried to take this to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court would not take the case because the head of the Air Force issued a, a decree, if you will, or, or a, a ruling that said, basically a statement that said, we cannot reveal the chemicals that we are burning and turning people into hard-boiled eggs with because if we release information about the compounds and chemicals that are being burned at Area 51, it might give away what we're doing there. Which is the, the fuck, that is the weakest excuse I can, I can imagine. Like, there are a million ways around that. Aren't there? Aren't there a million ways that you could deal with that lawsuit and have the Supreme Court hear it without having to... Uh, resort to we can't let you smell what we're cooking 
basically, is what they're saying. Oh, my God. So anyway, as I said, Clinton signed this uh, this document that uh, eliminated Area 51 or the operations near Groom Lake, or the fuck they call it, uh, from being regulated or having any sort of, uh, you know, oversight environmentally. And every president renews that every year. So, you know, you can get on Clinton and that's fine. But every president after that continues to keep in perpetuity that ruling so that nobody can sue Area 51. Nobody can sue anyone involved with that particular operation. So if you're going to work there, you're going to be boiled. You're not going to be paid well. You're going to go to work on a fucking airplane every day. And there's nothing you can do about it. That is a shit assignment. Because they do. They go... The way you get to Area 51... And I've seen this with my own eyes. Because I took a little tour there a couple years ago. Well, many, many years ago. doesn't matter. Uh, the way people go to Area 51 is that they go to the Las Vegas airport. And there are these white unmarked jets that take them to Area 51. And then take them back to Las Vegas airport. And then they, they get to go home from there. But that, that's, that's the kind of job that you got if you're working at Area 51. Constant threat of being burned alive, going to work on a fucking airplane every day, and uh, not even getting to see the aliens. Because these guys, you know, some of them were interviewed during the time of the, uh, the lawsuit and in the intervening years afterwards, the, the many years that have passed, many of them have spoken up. And they all say, no, nah, there's no aliens there. And then the, interviews, the interviewers will always ask them, well... You know, how much of the base did you see? So, well, we were only allowed to see certain parts of the base. So you don't know that there were aliens there, really, right? I mean, because you only saw this, this part of the base. Because what they would do, and I'm sure they still do at Area 51, is if you are not on like a need-to-know basis for whatever project you're not working on, they go into special rooms with, where there's either no windows or the windows are, are you know, blacked out so that they don't see the testing that's going on outside of whatever aircraft they're flying around or whatever UFO <laughs> UFO they're fucking spinning around, you know, trying to get to work. Whatever it is, whatever it may be, they don't get to see it because they don't that's not where they work. So, if you ask an Area 51 employee if there were aliens there, unless they uh, worked at S4, they they're, they're not they didn't see them. So let's let's talk about the the presidents. We just talked about how the president every year signs the death warrant for all these people to be uh, you know, hor horrifically treated at Area Fifty One. But recently, through the last few presidencies, presidents have actually opened up slightly, slightly about UFOs. I mean, we all know from the last episode that Truman and Eisenhower were like first name basis with the aliens, but they didn't make it public. Um, we don't know much about Kennedy or anything going back, you know, beyond, beyond that. So Nixon or, uh, well, we're going to get to Nixon. So Eisenhower, Truman, you know, handshakes, literal handshakes with the aliens, but there's a great Nixon story as always. And this one involves Nixon and Jackie Gleason. So the story goes, and this, a lot of people have, this story has spread like wildfire over the years. I, I heard it when I was a kid, um, Jackie Gleason's wife has confirmed this, or at least if you if you take her word for it, or, you know his widow has confirmed that this this happened. But the story is is that Nixon 
and Jackie Gleason were hanging out one night. And Nixon goes, uh, hey, Jackie, are you want to see some aliens? And Jackie Gleason says, yeah, oh, 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 would I? <laughs> oh, my God. I'm sorry. That Those were the worst two impressions you will ever hear. So let's, let's just forget that. Not going to edit it out. Let's just forget that that happened. Nixon and Jackie Gleason are hanging out. And Nixon says, uh, Jackie, would you like to go see some aliens? And Jackie says, I would love to go see some aliens, Mr. President. Will you please take me? So Nixon gets in his car and drives Jackie, and I mean that, Nixon gets in his car and drives Jackie Gleason to this Air Force base. I mean, I'm sure there was like a motorcade around him or something, but it was Nixon driving. Nixon at the wheel, Jackie Gleason riding shotgun. They go to uh, this Air Force base, drive through all of the uh, appropriate checks and balances, and get to this facility that I will let uh, Jackie Gleason's own words describe to you. Jackie Gleason, and I quote, There were a number of labs we passed through before we entered a section where Nixon pointed out what he said was the wreckage from a flying saucer enclosed in several large cases. Next, we went to an inner chamber, and there were six or eight of what looked like glass-topped Coke freezers. Inside them were the mangled remains of what I took to be children, a.k.a. small gray, dead aliens. From what crash? I don't know. I'm going to assume Roswell. I mean, I don't know how many times a UFO can crash. We discussed that briefly on the on the last episode of the possible reasons why, you know, uh, races with millions or hundreds of thousands of years of technological knowledge that's beyond our comprehension would be crashing into the earth all the time is an, an odd occurrence. But at least Roswell. And these could have been the Roswell aliens. Six to eight, I don't know. Now, there's been a lot of debate about that story. People have questioned uh, Jackie Gleason's wife's credibility that she claims she gave some interview in Esquire magazine about it. And uh, they couldn't find that uh, interview. It was in the National Enquirer, which, uh, according to the website, The Skeptoid, makes it uh, you know, completely illegitimate. Now, I've talked about the Skeptoid on this podcast a long, long time ago. It's this website where the guy is not skeptical. He just debunks everything. Uh, he's not a skeptic. He is the Skeptoid. If that's a, I don't think a, there's an actual thing as a Skeptoid, is there? Unless it's like a robot who just goes around not believing things would be a Skeptoid in my mind. Um, <laughs> uh, so the Skeptoid wrote an article about the Jackie Gleason thing, of course, debunking it. But his, uh, I read the article, and his last five points, his last four points are rather interesting because uh, I'll read them to you. He says, uh, from what I can tell, there are four possibilities for the origin of the strange Jackie Gleason story. One, Jackie Gleason made it up to explain where he was one night. Two, his widow Beverly Gleason made it up to 1983 to tease her tell-all book. Three, the National Enquirer made it up in 1983 and published it under Beverly's name to sell newspapers. Four, Richard Nixon took Jackie Gleason to see dead alien bodies. And then the guy goes on to say that, you know, it was not not number four. I say, could be number four. Could be number four. Because 
there's a, there's a lot of talk about you know what do presidents know about aliens what do they not know about aliens are do they even have you know is there literally like an above top secret that's above even what the president can get to and a lot of ufologists and ufo enthusiasts will tell you yes yes the president is not able to just go and say i want to see the ufo files so i'm going to play you a bunch of clips of presidents talking about just that uh, first, I am going to play Ronald. Well, then we'll get to Ronald. We'll do Ronald Reagan afterwards because his are a little more interesting. I'm going to play you some clips from the Jimmy Kimmel show where Jimmy Kimmel, every time he has like a president or a former president on, he always asks him about UFOs, which makes me very happy because that would be the first thing I would ask a president. I don't, wouldn't ask them anything else, to be honest. If you gave me five minutes, 10 minutes with a president, I wouldn't sit here and talk about foreign policy. I don't know anything. I wouldn't talk about uh, immigration, Syria, things like that. I, I you know, I would, I would just say, I, 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 good luck with all that stuff. I hope you make the right decisions. I, I'm no politician. I don't know what to do. But let's talk aliens, and that would be that. So let's let's hear how they respond to these questions because it's very interesting. And you may have seen these clips before. They're very prevalent on the internet, and even. There are videos where people will actually slow down the footage and they'll analyze every movement that, uh, you know, whoever's being interviewed, whichever president is being interviewed, what they do and where their eyes go and how they nod when they're saying yes, or they shake their head when they're, you know, they, they, they shake their head when they're saying no, or they nod when they're saying yes, and, and all this weird stuff. I'm not going to go that far, but it is, it is worth hearing how each different president or candidate approaches the subject. So we're going to listen to Clinton, Obama, and then Bush, and then Hillary. Okay, so we will start off with former President Bill Clinton, who signed the death warrant to all those poor people who were boiled alive. I demand to see all the classified files on the UFOs. <laughs> Because I want to know. I'd want to know what has been going on. Did you do that? Sort of. Sort of. <laughs> yeah, we had, uh, some t- I think it was at the beginning of my second term, we had the anniversary of Roswell. You waited that long? I did. Wow. Well, I didn't. And then I, there's also Area 51. You remember there was a great sci-fi movie where there was an alien kept deep under the ground yeah. in Area 51? So first I had people go look at the records on Area 51 to make sure there was no alien down there. (laughs) And people thought that because everybody who works there has to stop about an hour away and put on special clothing and then drive in and out. And that's because a lot of our stealth technology is made there. We know that now. And and but there are no aliens there. So then I when the Roswell thing came up, I knew we'd get you know, gazillions of letters. So I had all the Roswell papers reviewed, everything. If you saw that there were aliens there, would you tell us? Yeah. You would. I would. Well, I think, look, what do we know? We know now we live in an ever-expanding universe. We know that there are billions of stars and planets literally out there, and the universe is getting bigger. We know from our fancy telescopes that just in the last two years, more than 20 planets have been identified outside our solar system that seem to be far enough away from their suns and dense enough that they might be able to support some form of life. So 
It makes it increasingly less likely that we're alone. Oh, you're trying to give me a hint that there are aliens. <laughs> no, I'm trying to tell you I don't know. Oh. But if we were visited someday, I wouldn't be surprised. I just hope that uh, it's not like Independence Day. Yeah, right. Maybe that it's, a, you know, a, a conflict. Well, now we have friendly Maybe aliens. the only way to unite this incredibly divided world of ours. They're out there. We better think of how all the differences among people on Earth would seem small if we felt threatened by a space invader. That's the whole theory of independence. You're right. You're Everybody right. Everybody gets together and makes nice and, you know. You and Bill O'Reilly would be hiding in a bunker together. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Bill O'Reilly, he'd be every mean thing he ever said about me. <laughs> I don't care. Look at that. Okay, so the uh, line about we would all get united and everything if there was an alien threat is uh, basically ripped off from Ronald Reagan, and I'll play you that those clips in a bit. But uh, it, it is ironic, or maybe not ironic, but kind of disgusting, that he talks about Area 51 and jokes around about it uh, in reference to the movie Independence Day when you know he's letting people turn into fucking Play-Doh. When they work there, but uh, anyway, you know, that's uh, slick willy for you, right? Anyway, let's move on to uh, Obama and what he has to say on the same show, Jimmy Kimmel, about such aliens. So this is something I feel like, if I was the president, and it's unlikely that that is ever going to happen. You never know. (laughs) If I was the president... It was unlikely that I was going to be president. (laughs) (laughs) The moment I was inaugurated, my hand would, would just, it'd still be hot from touching the Bible and I would immediately race to um, wherever they hold, have the files uh, about Area 51 and the UFOs, yeah. and I'd go through everything to find out what happened. Right. Did you do that? That's why you will not be president. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, 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 that's the first thing that you would do. Um, <laughs> the the aliens won't list. let it happen. <laughs> you reveal all their secrets. <laughs> They, they, they exercise strict control over us. Now, you know, there are a lot of people that are going to examine your, your facial expressions here, um, every, every twitch, everything, oh, no. and say, and of course, so did you look? Did you see? Did you explore? I, I, I can't reveal anything. Oh, really? Because President Clinton said he did go right in, and he did check, and there was nothing. Well, you know, that's, that's what we're instructed to say. <laughs> that might be my, my favorite response. Very quick, quick-witted, you know, good old Obama making making jokes, but yeah, also renewing the death warrant for all those poor people. I, well, I will just, just stay away from that because every fucking president's guilty of it. So, but I I did enjoy that uh, that reply of uh, that's what we're instructed to say. But the best reply, in my opinion, comes from a far more serious and less talkative on the subject, George W. Bush. And the reason I think this one is so interesting is because, and I know how conspiratorial this sounds, and I don't care because this is Bob talking aliens. What do you want? Uh, If there was a president who was able to get his uh, vile clutches on any of that information, it most likely would have been George W. Bush. Because if you look at the lineage of his father being the head of the CIA and, you know, his father and those, I mean, those guys are blue bloods that were deep in it in terms of government stuff. So if there's anyone who was able to uh, pull the necessary strings to get... You know Dick Cheney knows the whole fucking thing. 
That there's nothing that guy doesn't know. No water falls off the table with him. That, that guy knows where everybody's buried. But nevertheless, this is George Bush talking about aliens, and his measured response to me is of the most interest. Again, it's from Jimmy Kimmel. When you were in office, and I don't know when this happened or if it happened, did you go through the secret files, the UFO documents? Because if I was president, that'd be the first thing I did. You know, it's funny. My daughters asked the very same question. They did? Yeah. Would you be allowed to tell your daughters what was in those files? Uh, No. You would not? No. Now that you're out of office, you can do anything you want, right? True, yeah. Uh, But I'm not telling you. You're not telling (laughs) me. You're not telling me what? Are you not telling me that you looked at them? I'm not telling you nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Are there really great secrets that you know that you can't share with people? Yeah. Yeah, there are. Uh, And you never write about them? No. Maybe at a time in your life that you're like, I'm 90, I'm going to do it. No. No, nothing. I love how he doesn't deflect any of that. There's no jokes he doesn't start, you know, blathering on about the universe like Bill Clinton. Just, no. No, I wouldn't tell you. Yeah, yeah, we have secrets. No, I'm not going to tell you. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, if there, if there was any... Obviously, I, I want to believe in aliens. I think that's obviously very, very clear by the fact that I do this show and everything. And so I tend to gravitate towards the stories that are more pointed towards the likelihood of us, you know, having had some sort of contact with aliens. And so I gravitate to that quote, but it's also just because of the attitude. See, if you go look that clip up on YouTube, George Bush does not, he doesn't, he's not amused by any of that. He's not annoyed by it, but it's just very matter of fact. It's just like, you know, you go up to him and you say, Hey, are they aliens? And he's like, I'm not going to tell you that. That's the end of the conversation. It's not, it doesn't go any further than that. Now, let's go back to a Clinton, this time Hillary, who was not elected president. But when she was campaigning, she was asked by the, by the very same Jimmy Kimmel. And I'm sorry that I, I keep pulling these quotes, but he always fucking asks them about the UFOs and, and nobody else ever does. So this is where the best quotes always come from. So... Uh, she, her response is bizarre as expected. Um, but yeah, yeah. Here, here's what she has to say about that whole thing. When we had your husband, President Clinton on the show, he said, I asked him about UFOs in area 51. And, and if he, if he looked in, cause if I was president, that's the first thing I do. I go right into those files and right. see what was going on. Right. And he said that he did do that. Yes. And that he didn't find anything. Well, I'm oh. gonna, I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm going to do it again. Yeah, why not? Right? And, and you know, there's a new name. It's Unexplained Aerial Phenomenon. Unexplained Aerial Phenomenon, yep. really? Yep, UAP. That's the latest nomenclature. I stuff. like the old one. I like UFO. I don't know why. Well, it, I think we can use them interchangeably. But I would like us to go into those files and hopefully make as much of that public as possible. If there's nothing there, let's tell people there's nothing there. What if there is something there? Well, if there is something there, unless it's a, you know, threat to national security, I think we ought to um, share it with the public. Well, what if everybody's all hopped up on medical marijuana and everybody gets paranoid? (laughs) I would love it. Well, that's why I want more research. (laughs) (laughs) 
If you share it with me, I'll decide what is the best course of action. I really have my ear to the ground. Well, you know, I'm more than happy to do that. So yeah, Hillary would go back because obviously she doesn't trust her husband. And so when he says he didn't find anything, she's not going to believe that or anything else that comes out of that man's mouth. So she said, I'd go back and, uh, you know, there you go. We'll never know. Does Trump have any plans for that? Well, you know what? It's very impossible to find a quote from him about that. He's got other things on his mind. And if you bring up aliens to him, uh, you're talking two different subjects. So uh, one thing that was uh, that I was able to find is that the uh, Sarah Sanders, I think, one of his... Uh, Correspond White House, uh, whatever the, what the fuck are they called? You know, the Alice and Janney played one on the West Wing, the, the goddamn uh, Spicer, whatever that guy is, whatever that person is, right? <laughs> I don't know why that simple thing escapes me right now. But they asked her, well, somebody asked her about it one time, and she said that she didn't know whether he believed in UFOs or not. So uh, we're going to have to just be left with that question with that guy. But it brings us back, now that we've, we've gone through the presidents of recent times, Ronald Reagan, very, very interesting guy when it came to aliens and UFOs, because he fucking brought it up all the time. And uh, there is a story that he uh, saw a, a UFO at some point, you know, earlier than his presidency, I think maybe even earlier than his governorship. And it was a it was a subject of fascination for him. Uh, also, the same was true of Jimmy Carter, who actually saw UFO and filled out a report even about it. Now, gray aliens. So far, we haven't uh, we haven't heard any of these presidents talk about them specifically. Although Obama did talk about aliens, and you know George Bush gave you the the fucking shutdown from uh, from point A to point B to point C. And, you know, Clinton, just, I don't know, Independence Day. And then uh, Hillary saying that she'd go back and find out. Okay, so Jimmy Carter saw UFO. Reagan, I think, saw UFO. But Reagan was obsessed with the idea of alien threats. And he talked about it all the time. He was always weaving it in as a sort of, you know, metaphor analogy, sort of a, a what-if situation on, on how to unite people. And it was basically Clinton stole his his line during the clip that I played you, Bill Clinton. But I, let's I want to play you a few different instances of Ronald Reagan actually talking about alien uh, species coming down to Earth, threatening us all, and how we would all unite as a planet if we were under that threat. Now, obviously, when he's talking about that, he's obviously saying what you know basically like what the movie independence day is about right it was just like if we had a big threat we'd all forget about our differences and our our petty disagreements and we would all unite to fight these motherfuckers coming down from space what interests me is how often ronald reagan used that example so here are here's a few of those check it out i couldn't help but one point in my discussions with privately with General Secretary Gorbachev. When you stop to think that we're all God's children, wherever we may live in the world, I couldn't help but say to him, just think how easy his task and mine might be in these meetings that we held. 
if suddenly there was a threat to this world from some other species from another planet uh, outside in the universe. We'd forget all the little local differences that we have between our countries and we would find out once and for all that we really are all human beings here on this earth together. In our obsession with antagonisms of the moment, we often forget how much unites all the members of humanity. Perhaps we need some outside universal threat to make us recognize this common bound. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet, I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? What could be more alien to the universal aspirations of our peoples than war and the threat of war? I think maybe I'd answer it this way. I, I keep in my frustration sometimes. You know, actually, if you count some of the things going on in smaller countries and all, there have been about 114 wars since World War II. But I've often wondered, what if all of us in the world discovered that we were threatened by an outer a power from outer space, from another planet? Wouldn't we all of a sudden find that we didn't have any differences between us at all? We were all human beings, citizens of the world, and wouldn't we come together to fight that particular threat? I love that message because it says two things. It says that we, uh, we are too divided as a people, which is true. And it also suggests the possibility of extraterrestrial aliens. Now, uh, it, it does always do so in an ominous way that in an ominous manner that the uh, aliens would come to attack us. But, uh, there's a lot of people who think that I think I spoke about this on one of the other episodes is that, you know, Stephen Hawking who recently passed, said that we should not we should not want aliens to be coming by because they would fucking see us as nothing and they would crush us so reagan might be right it's interesting also that the when reagan talks about it like uh, I, those three i believe are i'm pretty sure are in chronological order i look through those clips and it's interesting that the the alien it's sort of like it starts it's like an alien force and then alien threat and then like by the last one he's like specifically saying an alien from outer space coming to threaten us all and that would teach us to uh, to get along i don't know maybe that's what it'll take or maybe the aliens just got fucking sick of us uh and they're not going to bother trying or they're uh, they're going back and they're planning their attack so that we could do that but the, the, the reason i say this is because as we have moved into the 21st century, you know, we talked about the 90s, the craze of the abductions and the Area 51 and all of that. And we've moved into the 21st century and the grays have now kind of just passed into the realm of being, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm agreeing with that guy from the article earlier from geek.com, but a fad, a meme. And there's a lot of people that have written articles about saying that the, the internet killed the greys and it killed the aliens because now that, uh, or not that the internet, but that the, the camera phones, smartphones killed the, uh, the UFO 
craze because now that everyone has a phone, they can't take pictures of UFOs because the UFOs don't exist. And if they did, you know, all there'd be all these UFO uh, phone videos everywhere. Well, there are, there are, there are tons and tons go to YouTube and you will, you can spend the rest of your fucking life looking at people filming UFOs with their phone film filming. You can look at uh, people recording images of UFOs for the rest of your life, whether they're real, whether they're drones, whether they are, what did, what did Hillary call it? Unidentified aerial phenomenon. Why would you change the name? UFO spaceship spacecraft but you can find that all day there's no shortage of that there's more and more and more of it because of uh cell phones and cameras and surveillance and stuff everywhere i mean for god's sakes just watch the movie captured on netflix that guy's got grays running around in his backyard it's fake um but let me read you let me read you a, st- a statistic that actually makes this very interesting because as the sort of, I guess, craze of UFOs and abductions and everything has died down, that does not necessarily reflect in the public's opinion of whether or not we have had aliens visit us. So this is, uh, this is uh, there was an article on uh, Salon.com. And uh, it was talking about, uh, you know, what happened to the alien craze and everything. And there's something very interesting in here. Uh, during the, you know, the biggest blow up in the balloon, I don't mean blowing up the balloon of the Hindenburg. I just mean the balloon of UFO craze was, was in the nineties. And they did a Gallup poll in 1990 that said that 27% of Americans believe that extra beings had visited the earth at some point by 2005, similar poll was done and it was down to 24%. But here's the thing in 2015, there was an Ipsos poll done which reported that 45% of Americans believe that extraterrestrials have visited the earth, not UFOs. Okay. Cause UFOs are UFOs. UFOs can be drones. UFOs can be goddamn near anything, you know, unless it's something like the Phoenix lights where it's like people really saw some shit flying around up there. The Rendlesham forest incident in the eighties, which I have a whole podcast devoted to. That's UFO stuff that's very interesting. And, you know, there's a lot of of credible people that say they saw it. And there's even video evidence in the Phoenix Lights case. But we're talking about aliens. This is about aliens. And this is saying that 45% of Americans believe that extraterrestrials have visited the Earth. I don't know what the polls are in Europe where that one article said that all the aliens go to Europe. But uh, the Americans, 45%. Oh, and by the way, I have nothing against Europe. It's beautiful there. I just, uh, that particular line in that article is a red flag. A red flag with a gray's face on it, like in Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. Uh, but I want to read a tiny bit of, uh, of this Salon article that's talking about, you know, why did the UFO craze die? And it says, uh, despite some dubious stories from contactees, and it's, this is referring back to like the 70s and 80s and even the 60s, in uh, the 50s even, the Air Force took UFO sightings seriously, organizing a series of studies, including Project Blue Book, which ran from 1952 to 1959. Now, Project Blue Book did run from those years, 52 to 69. 
And when it was closed, the government essentially said, we're, we're not studying that shit anymore. You know, we we did a bunch of years of that. There were most of the uh, UFO cases in the Project Blue Book were easily explained. And there were a few that were left unexplained. Which also brings me to a point that I make pretty often on this show. But it's a very important point to make, which is that you only need to be right one time. One time. You can have six trillion UFO sightings that are nothing or alien sightings that are nothing and only have to be right one time. And it's all over. That means there's aliens. But Project Blue Book ended uh, in the 60s and they said, we're not, we're not doing anything else about UFOs. Well, it turns out, it turns out that many, many programs have existed since then that have continued to explore UFOs. And uh, just very recently, there was video footage released by the Pentagon that showed a fucking UFO flying around like a crazy son of a bitch. Clearly, you go look it up. It's all over YouTube. It's all over the internet. You do, I mean, it's not even, it's, you know, this is like from NASA, from the Pentagon. No secret. They're not even making a secret of it. And the thing is shaped like a flying saucer, which once again we know is the Cadillac of spaceships for gray aliens. Now, I know that's kind of a tenuous connection back to gray aliens, but there is a trend here of becoming a bit more open and open and open and open and open about it. And I want to play you a clip now of this dude. He goes by the name of Luis Elizondo, and he is a former... Pentagon intelligence officer who was also the head of global security who was running the UFO unit. Now, I don't know of of all the history of UFOs going back. Like I, you know, there's been like in Britain they had a guy who was in charge of the UFO unit in the Ministry of Defense. His name was Nick Pope, and that guy pops up on every UFO documentary. You know, because so many fucking aliens go to Britain. Um, but No, but they do. They do, obviously. They go everywhere. So I'll stop being so uh, jingoistic, patriotic, fucking America first about the aliens. But they do come here a lot. And it, just stop talking about that. Okay. This guy, Luis Elizondo, former Pentagon uh, intelligence officer and the head of the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. How fucking cool is that? Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. Here is what uh, Luis Elizondo had to say about that secret program and some of their findings. Take it away, sir. Sure. Um, The purpose of the program, uh, Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, was really designed to do just that. Um, from a national security perspective, identify those things that we see, whether uh, we see them electro-optically, we see them with radar, we see them uh, as, uh, as eyewitness reports, um, through a myriad of different ways and avenues that we receive the information, and try to ascertain and determine if that information is a potential threat to national security, in a nutshell. So what did you find? Well, we found a lot. Um, 
Um, I think what's important is that we have identified some very, very interesting anomalous um, type of aircraft, let's call them aircraft. Things that don't have um, <coughs> any obvious flight surfaces, any obvious forms of propulsion, and maneuvering in ways um, that include extreme maneuverability beyond, uh, I would submit, the healthy G-forces of, uh, of a human or anything biological. Uh, hypersonic velocities, low observability, um, positive lift, again, seemingly in, in defying the laws of aerodynamics. Um, we have deliberately stayed away from going down the rabbit hole of who's behind the wheel and what are their intentions. Yep. Because that, a lot of people have a lot of feelings towards that and, and are very emotional about that. And what I wanted to do was to allow the data to speak for itself and then use that data to inform leadership, senior DOD leadership, about the potential threat that, that these type of, of technologies pose to national security, especially over any type of controlled airspace that we might have. Um, so I'm not trying to be evasive uh, in any way or vague with your, with your answer, but yeah. well, I think there's a lot of possibilities. Look, and I know you think it's important. I know you think that the government didn't take the threat seriously enough. So, so let me just ask you point blank the question. Do you believe that, that life from somewhere else, while you ran this program, came here, visited, observed? I will tell you unequivocally that, that through the observation, scientific methodologies that were applied to, to look at this phenomena, that these aircraft, we'll call them aircraft, are displaying characteristics that are not currently within the U.S. inventory nor in any foreign inventory that, that we are aware of. So I know you're using, uh, you're being clear, but I mean, the answer is yes. Um, my personal, I can't speak on behalf of the government, obviously, okay. I'm, I'm not in the U.S. government anymore. My personal belief is that uh, there is very compelling evidence that we, uh, we may not be alone, whatever that means. Well, I'll tell you, uh, I will tell you exactly what it means, good sir. I will tell you exactly what it means, good sir. He knows it. I know it. You know it. The woman that couldn't stop coughing that was interviewing him knows it. It means that, look, I tell you every time I do this show, I say, I'm not going to, you know, I'm telling the stories, I'm making them funny, I'm giving you as much detail as I can in an entertaining way. But I always tell you, look, it's up to you whether or not you want to believe any of these stories. And that is still the truth. However, I think with the trend that we have seen throughout God, what is this? Three and a half hours, three hours of talking about the aliens, that there is something going on. And it always, always seems to come back to those little gray fuckers. All right, even though this guy is talking about aerial phenomenon, he is admitting that this shit is not from this planet. So if there have been craft flying around like this the whole time, and it's only now with our advanced technology and radar and all the stuff that we can do that we can see them, whereas before, you know, radars were like that circled with just the line going around like a clock and beeping once in a while. Yeah, you fucking know shit from that. But we can tell now. And this guy obviously knows. But still, before we, before we check out on this, before we finish up, we have to get back to the greys themselves, all right? We've, we've figured out, I think at this point, I think we can undeniably say that there are, or at least I'm going to undeniably say it. For once on this show, I'm going to take a fucking stand. 
And I'm going to say that there are spacecraft from other planets flying around. Are they greys? Do we have greys? We have certainly gone through all of the stories of the crashes and greys being thrown out, greys in the window of, of Barney Hill, uh, flying saucers with, with the Travis Walton and having greys in them, and on and on and on. All of the Bud Hopkins abduction stories, greys coming in flying saucers. And, you know, that's the, another thing is that you don't hear a lot about abductions anymore. And I was wondering, one of the reasons I think that that is, is that Bud Hopkins, who I played a clip of on the last episode, is no longer with us. And I think that he was one of the more, if only, sensitive people to that subject. You know, there, there is a stigma about being an alien abductee. And I'm, I'm sure that there are many people around who still do the regressive hypnosis and still do all that stuff, which is, is questionable, but usually results in grays. You don't hear about it so much anymore. So does that mean that uh, the grays just aren't abducting people anymore? Maybe the grays died off because their hybrids weren't working. They kept trying to impregnate people and it just wasn't working. Alien babies weren't coming out. So they just died off or they gave up. They went somewhere else. I don't think so. If the greys were around then, they're around now. And this guy, this fucking aerial threat guy, is seeing the evidence of their spaceships flying around. But again, let, let us finish up with the grey beings. And let's, let's wrap it up that way. I've talked about MUFON on this show before, the uh, Mutual UFO Network. <laughs> so I, I should rem remember the name. That's, uh, that's actually pretty bad. On my part, let me let me make sure I, I know what the exact uh, actual thing is, because MUFON is uh, they do investigations of UFO sightings. They have a hotline. They have a, an email thing. You can uh, you know you can send in your sightings to them. It's the Mutual UFO Network. Okay, so I was right. And uh, you know they are not afraid to call bullshit. They are not afraid to call bullshit. And one of their one of their very recent sightings is. Uh, a guy described it this way. This was from just a couple of months ago. This is in 2018. So I woke up to a noise in my kitchen. I looked out my door and seen what was sort of like a small gray dude with black eyes. Big head, but he didn't have a nose. I remember his facial features very well, but he was standing there. And he walked into the kitchen and just stared. And I looked back at him and his eyes. It was like he could read my mind. And he seemed to get angry with me as I looked in his eyes. And I felt like I was tasered. Then I woke up in my bed, and it was day, and I felt groggy. But me and a buddy had seen a UFO just a few months before that. So you can understand my concerns. He, say, he says that, so you can understand my concerns. Yeah, I understand your concerns, my friend. There are dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of stories like this, and I don't know what it is with the fucking greys walking into people's kitchens, though. That's like a new thing. That's like a new tactic that they've adopted, because we, as I've gone through this... Uh, journey of the greys there's been more and more of the, the the home invasion shit you know less of the beaming up into your into their ship and more of the home invasion which makes sense because if you're going to be beaming people up you know then you get all kinds of eyewitnesses and you got to go through all that and people got to fill out paperwork probably the greys have to fill out paperwork were you spotted yes why because we went in the middle of the forest and we beamed the people up through our spaceship into the spaceship and then we let them out and in the case of uh Betty Hill, she punched me in the face. So now they just go into their kitchens. And I, I don't know if it's true, but the point is, it is still being reported, okay? It is, it is still, is, as much 
as was happening in the 90s, is still happening today. They're just not making TV movies about it. They're not writing books about it. Because instead, we have the actual people from the government saying, yeah, we've seen things do shit that no human craft could ever do. They weren't asteroids. They weren't comets. They weren't, uh, you know, gaseous anomalies. They were fucking spaceships. Put two and two together. Put two and two together and you have my friends, in my opinion. Gray aliens have been here. All right. I'll keep telling you stories that will sound ridiculous. There's always more where, where these came from. And we'll get into them in future episodes. But until then, you've heard presidents talk about them being aloof. You've heard the government official. And again, again, going back to this government official guy, this, this uh, Pentagon intel officer, this isn't the wheezing guy. All right. This isn't, you know, Boyd Bushman, these people that claim that they worked somewhere and they saw an alien. This, this, is a, this is a dude who has seen up close and personal some crazy ass shit. And they're not even hiding it anymore. They're not even hiding it anymore. So will the Greys be next? God damn, I hope so. I hope so. For your sake. And for my sake. And for the sake of uniting this country. Because again, you know, I talked about, we had to talk about politics in the show because presidents and everything. And if you detected some sort of political leaning on my part, please reject the notion, okay? The one thing I agree with in any of the political speak that went on during this episode was that, uh, you know, we should calm down a bit, join up together, because, you know, when these spacecraft do come down that, that clearly are up there, they might want to attack us, like Reagan said, and we might need to be ready for that. And so arguing about this shit, that shit, and the other thing, you know, angry comment sections on, on YouTube and Reddit posts. They want to start doing away with that and get ready for these fucking spaceships that are flying around in the sky. Verified. But let's not leave off with the verified spaceships that we absolutely know are flying around our planet. Let's end with the story of a little gray. Possibly not. Possibly so. This was something that uh, our beloved listener, Koi Huin, sent in uh, to me to take a look at. And it's a story that I, I'm somewhat familiar with as it's been going on for several years. And that is this little Chilean, uh, you know, baby, meaning a baby found in Chile. The small being that has the head of a gray. I can describe it no other way to you. It is a big head with the big black eyes and a small body, and it looks like a fucking gray. Now, it's, it's, a, it's mummified. It's like a skeleton, right? And for years, UFO enthusiasts and alien enthusiasts have been saying, this is it. We found a dead gray. We finally found one. Not one that's in a Coke bottle that only Jackie Gleason can look at, but an actual gray. And studies were done, and, and for five years, the UFO community was very, very, very uh, effervescent with hope that this would be declared to be an alien. And sure enough, some experts had to come in and kill everybody's fucking buzz. And they said that this little thing that we call Atta was nothing more than a child with about... 50 different uh, 
defects that made it look like a gray. Uh, <laughs> I'm not laughing at this poor being's uh, disgusting remains because it is disgusting if you look at uh, if you look up Atta A T A alien or corpse or whatever you'll you'll see plenty of pictures of it. Um, you know. Probably so. In this case, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay on the fence and say that's yeah, probably probably a person. But the uh, again the time frame of five years to do some simple DNA tests because the DNA tests they did and I've read a bunch of articles about this since Koi was so generous to send this to us. The DNA tests they did were were not very involved. They were pretty simple, straightforward DNA tests. So they say that led them to the conclusion this was just a very, very poorly deformed baby, you know, that was uh, found from from years and years ago. Exactly how long ago was it? Let me check. No, they're not sure. Not sure exactly of when this thing was born and died, but it was mummified and, uh, you know, so it uh, it lasted quite a while. Five years to do some simple DNA tests. And then they go into, and I'm not going to bother you with the details of reading all the scientific shit, but they go into the details of scientifically why the, the head was that big and why the eyes looked like that and all this thing that, you know, this stuff that they found from a very simple DNA test and some, you know, carbon dating and things like that on the bones. And that's the conclusion they came up with. Tiny little child with several birth defects that just happened to look exactly like a gray. So maybe all grays are, are little kids with horrible child defects that, uh, you know, with horrible, horrible defects that are running around uh, into people's kitchens and uh, reading their minds and knocking them out and abducting them. And, you know, they're, but they're just, they're just troubled kids. They're just troubled kids. You would be too if you looked like this, if you had all these fucking problems, you looked like a gray alien, but it's, you're not actually a gray alien. You're just a kid that is fucked up. I don't know, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know about little Atta. Whatever it was, it definitely did not leave a good live a good life. It definitely did not uh, live a good life like Jackie Gleason always said he did, except when he was tortured by the memories of the aliens that he saw, and he couldn't sleep and couldn't eat for weeks because that's a report. And you, I hope you will be able to sleep and you will be able to eat, but I hope that you have dreams about aliens that are not actually abductions, but just dreams about aliens that make you consider the fact that all of this, all of these stories, all of these memes, all of this fucking shit in video games, does it all just come from an H.G. Wells story? Does it all come from a couple of comic books and a crystal skull? By the way, there is no evidence of actual crystal skulls. It's a myth. Cave drawings? Really? All of it? From just that? Spurred an entire movement of, of merchandise and swag, clothes, hats, movies, television shows, comic books, books, movies that continue to, to have grays in them, video games that are still coming out today with grays in them, the goddamned... Uh, there's a, the baseball team, the 51s, there's the Grays. I mean, it, it goes on and on and on and on and on. Why? 
just because of the things I mentioned? Or because they're really there? I'll leave that to you to decide, but I will tell you, yeah, yeah, I think the gray alien is a real thing. And if you ever come across one, and if you ever capture one or kill one, please make sure that you get it to David Hasselhoff, because he'll know what to do with it. Cue the hot chick. Pop Talk and Aliens, the William Clear Podcast.